I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back, everybody, to Ideas Digest, the live podcast practice that breaks down the ideas that divide us in order to find the humanity that I think connects us. My name's Conrad, and yes, we're recording live on Instagram, so you can be part of the show, jump on there and check out the lives. Then the podcast edition will pop up later on when I get a chance around to edit it. And we are also a practice. Now, practice, what does that mean? It means you have to do something if you want. If you want, if you don't, that's fine. Podcast you can just listen to, or you can do something as well. If you want to turn it from a podcast into a practice, three things I've come up with. I'm a teacher, right? So I've like got to distill it down into three deliverable modes and models, right? So number one, you're already doing it. Listen, listen to the podcast and don't just listen to like the episodes that you think you're going to agree with. If something, if a title like really triggers you, listen, click and listen to it. It's challenging. It's a bit difficult, but I, I think you'll learn to like it as you're listening or when you're finished. Number two, ask, Jump on Instagram, ask a question. What did I miss? I miss questions all the time, especially now I'm by myself. It's just me. It's only one track mind here. So post a question that you wish I had have asked. What What did I miss? And three, you can respond or comment. You know, send me a DM. What did it make you think? Uh, any new ideas? And for any trolls out there, you know, I can send some abuse. Whatever, whatever you need to do, you can you can do that in the DMs. So. Uh, as always, let's begin this show with the clickbait because clickbait, let's face it, it's part of culture now. That's, it's not going anywhere. So we just, just embrace it. You normally do with clickbait is like read the clickbait title, go away and think you're informed. No, no. We look at the clickbait and we go, oh, let's, there's more to it. Let's find out what else is in there. However, I will say this. If you just read like the title of my podcast and then you just, you know how people on Facebook, they read the title of a news article and they just share it and be like, yeah, check this out. And they never read the article. I'm totally okay if you do that with this podcast. If you don't listen, you just share it around. Go for it. Go nuts. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Clickbait today. You've already read it. Christianity needs to accept Jesus into its heart. Now, are you a, a bit triggered or just confused? Don't worry. My next guest and new friend of the show, meet Jared McKenna. Jared, thanks for joining me. No worries, Conrad. Good to be with you, mate. It, it's, it's good to have you here. Now, before we get into like who you are, what you do, and, and the topic, I've been doing some Googling, Jared, and I've been <laughs> looking at your, your Twitter. I've been looking at your Instagram. I've been looking at some news articles, and <laughs> I've got some judgments that I've just form formulated about you well you know that judge not lest you be judged is a commandment right conrad <laughs> ah well <laughs> i never thought about the, the second half of it but but i'm i'm gonna do it anyway just just out of consistency but because because i'm you know a nice judgmental person i'm gonna i'm gonna put them to you i'm gonna i'm gonna ha i have two boxes here and in this game i'm gonna throw judgments at you that people might think we all think things when we meet people or read something 
and we go away and, and we hold those as true. So I'm going to go, all right, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to confront my judgments about you and I'm going to give you the chance to respond, but you only get to say yes or no, okay? <laughs> I got two sure. tiny little boxes, two tiny little boxes and you're going to fit, Jared. I'm going to squeeze you into whichever one. All right, don't worry. There will be time for nuance later, but that's, that is the time is not now. <laughs> Uh, I saw when I was looking at your, your Twitter feed there that a few years ago you got arrested for protesting um, the refugees and uh, I think on Manus was the specific situation. You, you had tied yourself to like a four-story building for, for a few hours. So here's my judgment and assumptions. You must be some like one of those bloody tree huggers. Guilty. Guilty. That's I mean, a yes. I mean, yes. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. Okay. All right. Well, I'm on the right track then. Let's see if my judgments hold true. Then you've got to be, if you're a tree hugger, then you've got to be a vegan. Uh, no. No. Oh, tree mm. huggers will kick you out of their club, I think. Okay. <laughs> well, it's, it's, we've obviously. You're, you're an activist because you take action on social justice things. So, I mean, then you, you're probably not a Christian. Uh, no. <laughs> so that's a no to not being a Christian. So, yes, you're a Christian. Amen. Amen. <laughs> say amen. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, I, I'm I, I'm so Christian. I, I make the fundamentalist blush. That, that that's the that's how Christian I am. Fundamentalists look at me and go, "Oh, that that's that's a little bit too much." Jesus, tone it back. Now I'm confused. So, this next one, uh, Christians generally like you know vote for a certain political party, but I'm going to say, I reckon you're a Greens voter. Uh, as a lapsed anarchist, I do vote. And I was asked to run for the Greens in 2007 in the Senate, uh, but I was enough of an anarchist at the time that um, uh, it's not how I primarily see um, the world changing. But yes, um, I've some of my closest mates have been senators in the Greens, like Scotty Ludlam. Those who listen to the Inverse podcast will already know that. Um, but I also have close friends who um, are Labor senators that I know from the um, union movement as well. Um, so I... I refuse to allow any political party to, to box my moral convictions. All right. There's a lot of nuance you threw in there. So I'm going to squeeze <laughs> you into, I'm going to squeeze you into the yes box, even though, you know, a lot of different things. I'm going to go. Yeah. He's definitely, he's definitely in the last election voted greens. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> um, we can correct all the record later. Okay. Um, I, I think I know the answer to this one because I've seen, I've done some Googling, but you have or have had at some point in your life dreadlocks. <laughs> yeah, um, that uh, guilty, your honor. So if you got dreadlocks, then I'm just following the, 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 the thread of string or the dreadlock or the knotted dreadlock. You've <laughs> got to be then like a pot smoking hippie. Uh, I have never actually, um, in fact, I don't even drink. Uh, with, with the exception of the Eucharist, um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty straight edge when, when it comes to 
Yes. So technically, when it turns into the blood of Christ, is it still? I mean, it depends on your understanding of the table, right? Okay. All, all right. Um. Yeah. This is this is why we got to check assumptions because you're not fitting either box. You're jumping in and out. Is he, <laughs> is he like this typical Christian? Is he your typical like activist hippie? Ah, oh, like so like hippie maybe pot smoking no. And if you're a Greens voter, then I've I've got to I've got to level this one at you for some of some of my Sky News friends out there. If you're a, if you're a Greens voter or at least sympathetic, you're some level communist. Uh, no, I see uh, communism as welcoming uh, authoritarianism, which uh, Jesus clearly says not so with you. So um, my my problem with communism is like my problem with um, neoliberalism uh, that it. It, it's it's a solidification of coercive power, uh, not the undoing of it. So that's a clear no. So uh, living in um, two com- communes that I started in my adult life doesn't make me a uh, communist. It makes me a communalist. Obviously, I ha- those two boxes are too small to contain you, Jared. So over to you. Like you can put some assumptions to bed that are out of place, but feel free to introduce yourself. Who are you? What have you been doing? What are you doing with yourself now? All over to you. Yeah, thanks, Conrad. And I just want to name at the outset and permission to move on as quickly as you want. But um, uh, I I pray that this is something that's healing for for you and and for others at this time, um, particularly with um, the passing of uh, your best mate. And so I hope in your grief and... um, uh, yeah, just this time of, of processing and lamenting that this is something that's good for your soul, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Jared. Thank you. Um, I'm um, a dad. I'm a recent new dad. Oh, yes. Um, and that's wonderful. Little Noah Otis, full-time dad thing, Conrad, is uh, um, a, a job I'm loving. Although I don't have the best record with nappies generally when it leaks. That's that's my bad, but um, I'm catching up quick. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> something I uh, don't envy. <laughs> um, uh, other than uh, being um, a, a dad to a beautiful bunch of boys, uh, one of which is only four months old, um, I've spent most of my adult life um, being a nonviolent social change trainer. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, both here in Australia and overseas. I did that for World Vision International in the Middle East, Eastern Europe, Europe as their uh, nonviolent um, uh, people movement consultant, which was a lot of fun. Uh, but with all things COVID at the moment, I'm definitely based um, here on Wadjuk Noongar Buja, which you'll find on a map as Perth, Australia. And uh, okay. um, doing, doing a little bit... Um, of uh, stuff with um, the local Anglican Archbishop, um, Her Grace K. Goldsworthy, who's the first Anglican Archbishop uh, in the world who um, isn't male. So uh, there's a little bit of of my life. Are you Anglican then? Nah, nah, and I'm as surprised as um, you are, and some of them (laughs) are. Um, uh, So... No. In fact, some people would argue that there's three points in the um, 39-point commitments of Anglicans which are written against my type, um, us troublesome Anabaptists uh, with our peace church witness. So uh, 
um, that's an interesting tension to to hold. Okay, so you would say Anabaptist is roughly what you fit um, as a as a relatively sheltered uh, growing up Protestant. For behalf of my uh, other Protestant friends from different Protestant denominations, what what the hell is Anabaptist? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, so a- Anabaptism is a five hundred year old tradition that says um, to follow Jesus is to reject all violence. And so they were Uh called the Radical Reformation. So when you had Uh um, Martin Luther putting his um, thesis on the Wittenberg door and then you got Calvin uh, doing his thing in Geneva um, and the Catholic Church is like trying to work out politically what they're going to do with losing so much space, um, you know, they're all fighting each other, literally fighting each other. Uh, But what they all shared in common is a hatred of Anabaptists um, and Anabaptists uh, are that tradition, Anna from the Greek meaning re. So um, they thought that baptism um, shouldn't be something that the state administers to um, give you citizenship, which is how it worked in uh, Christendom Europe, but instead should be a commitment to an alternative community that is embodying the way of Jesus. So their life was animated by the Sermon on the Mount. Um, uh, they shared all in common. Uh, they interpret all scripture through the life of Jesus. So you can't use the Bible to go, Nah, Jesus, um, the only reason you've got access to the back of the book is because Jesus invites you in, so you can't use it without him. Um, so uh, uh, Jesus's life and example animate the Anabaptist witness when it's at its best. Um, so Anabaptism is very important to me. But truth be told, Conrad, I'm the love child of um, Dorothy Day and the Catholic Worker uh, movement and started a, a Catholic Worker-inspired commune um, and Anabaptism uh, as well as uh, the charismatic movement um, and being a p- pastor in um, Australian Christian churches, which I still think it should be called uh, uh, Christian Australian church. But anyway, um, uh, so uh, Pentecostalism has been part of the air that I've breathed as well. But just through an Anabaptist Catholic worker lens, that said, I nearly converted to Eastern Orthodoxy and worked um, extensively with the Orthodox Church, particularly in Romania, and has spoken at um, Orthodox um, theological symposiums in Eastern Europe, uh, particularly around uh, uh, nonviolence and atonement and eschatology. Um, so I'm I'm this close to um, Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, yet they they see Constantine as a saint, which um, for me that's uh, that's a big stumbling right. block. I don't know what to do with that. Constantine, they're like. Em, like the symbol, like a bit of a symbol of empire. Is that why you're you're like, yeah. like Constantine? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, when people talk about um, not so much Constantine as an individual, which is part of the problem, right? Like that we so individualize things that our initial question is, was Constantine genuine in his Christianity? I don't think his genuineness has much bearing on the fact that um, uh, what he did in making Christianity no longer illegal. Uh, um, put the church in a situation where they had forms of worldly power. But, I mean, even technically you could say that it was Theodosius, the next emperor, and within a 100-year period you went from Christianity being illegal. So just consider that. Like imagine if Christianity was illegal today because its practices, this way of Jesus was such a threat to the way that the world works, to under Constantine it became no longer illegal, um, and then under Theodosius it became illegal not to be Christian. And so so much of the wrestling and when theologians use the term like the Constantinian fall or the Constantinian shift, really it's just a shorthand way of saying um, 
the church, uh, though faltering, failing, were moving in a direction that looked a lot more like Jesus um, than what happens today when instead of being on the side of the crucified, we sometimes pray, play chaplaincy to the crucifiers, providing Jesus as a symbol and a hood ornament on a uh, imperial agenda um, that wants to do a little bit of Jesus-y stuff in our heart. Interesting. I'm hearing like already the themes as we as we begin to you know go to the beginning of this of this clickbait idea. I'm hearing like <laughs> you know you're you seem to have uh, filled a plate from the buffet of Christianity and are very familiar with the different sections of the buffet. Oh, you've got your Eastern Orthodox over there and you're different and it's like it sounds like you've definitely explored like a lot of Christianity like when people say Christianity at least in Australia they might just be thinking Protestant like a very narrow kind of Baptist Protestant but it sounds like when you're talking about Christianity you're talking about this like very expansive tradition oh you're like you're dropping different uh denominations and i don't even know like sects or different expressions of it uh yes i eat widely from the buffet but um i've tasted and seen that that particular jew brown-skinned palestinian jew living under roman oppression this peacenik who's uncompromising cooperation with the will of god put him at odds with all domination evil injustice oppression and death itself um, that I crazy claim uh, that his death isn't the failure of love at the hands of injustice, but is in fact the victory of love at the nail-scarred hands of God, that I've tasted and seen that he is good. And so anywhere I find anything that looks like him, tastes like him, feels like him, I want in and I want to learn from that. And so people are like, how come you got to speak at like... Um, a secular um, conference on Gandhi is because Gandhi, like in terms of someone who took on the largest empire of his day and said that the Bhagavad Gita and Jesus Sermon on the Mount were central to his revolution in India and without violence actually um, uh, freed India from the British Raj. Um, Gandhi was assassinated by Hindu extremists who claimed that he was trying to Christianize Hinduism. And this was their case. Gandhi insisted that his Satyagrahi, um, uh, those who practice Satyagraha, soul force or truth force, um, that uh, they daily commit themselves to reading the Gospels and studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so as a Hindu, I take Gandhi seriously because he helps me take Jesus seriously. Uh, The reason why the black church tradition is such a massive influence on me, I got into Gandhi through getting into Martin Luther King. My introduction to Martin Luther King came from my mum, who grew up in a secular Jewish home, who remembers seeing King in 63 um, at Birmingham with um, this photo letter from a Birmingham jail that some people might know, and seeing this eloquent Baptist minister asked her mum, what's a Baptist? And uh, my grandma um, said, when we go and get food from the local town, um, I'll point out the Baptist church. So once a week I'm going to do that, um, uh, Mum noticed the Baptist church. She was 12 years old at the time. Then when she got her license when she was 16, she drove down there. So, I mean, um, from mum's side of the family, I get like a king influence conversion to Christianity. From my dad's side, um, uh, I get, and this is the, the cross um, from Taizé um, in the south of France, which uh, I visited in January 2002. Um, my dad was a monk in a Catholic order uh, before migrating to Australia in 1972. So my 
my arrival at Christianity um, is shaped by my parents' exploration of very different approaches to faith. But what it shares in common is this Jesus that can't be contained by religion, that actually he claims is embodying God's new world, um, not through the sword, which everybody expected, but through, you know, washing feet, riding in not on war horses, but donkeys, um, uh, sending in the meek, not the soldiers. Uh, this is the Jesus that um, I've given my all for, and I am unprepared to allow fundamentalists to claim the tradition um, and serve Caesars of today um, while blaspheming the name of Jesus, when the tradition belongs as much to the rest of us as it does them, if not more. If Jesus gets to define Christianity, Conrad, if Jesus gets to define not Lyle Shelton, not Jared McKenna, but if my Lord himself gets to define Christianity, I think it has to look like Jesus. I think it has to feel like Jesus. It's got to drip with that kind of creative, provocative grace. So what I'm hearing <laughs> is on some level, non-controversial Christian language, the, 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 the man Jesus, the, the non-violence, the love, the, you know, I think you would go, I would go into any church in Australia today and go, oh yeah, they, and, and I think no matter any Christian on the spectrum would hear what you're saying and nod and say, of course, yes, of course. But I'm also hearing I'm hearing the same thing, but I'm also hearing it completely differently. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing it applied differently. And I guess that's where I, where I guess let's begin here and end, I think, in politics. But let's begin with the, with the clickbait that is uh, at, the, at the top, that is Christianity needs to accept Jesus into its heart. On some level, I'm hearing this, this disconnect between Jesus who is the symbol of non-violent love and acceptance and almost outside of empire in opposition to empire. You're talking, you spoke about Constantine, you spoke about um, like imperial, imperial rule and Christianity kind of being co-opted as this agent for power and empire. And your to you, the scene, the two seem very oppositional. It's like Jesus opposed to empire talk to me about how like what is different about how you're using and speaking about jesus that you would hear just in a normal going to any just run-of-the-mill baptist church what's like what's the difference and and my prayer is that you go to your run-of-the-mill baptist church and hear straight this hmm. um but uh I, I mean somebody uh challenged me on social media last week and said Jared, um, you always talk about Jesus, but you never talk about the gospel. So let me be really clear. For me, Jesus is the gospel. The gospel isn't a theory about Jesus, nor a theory about Jesus' death. It's the person of Jesus, who I claim this crucified man is the Messiah. And to put the word Messiah King together with somebody who experiences like um, state-sanctioned death penalty is to step into a different reality where all our considerations of, of power, um, of, of religion, of politics all get uh, upended. And to realise that um, any talk of um, Jesus being the Christ, um, it, you know, that that is something that should scandalise us still. What is it that all-powerful all, all powerful is all-vulnerable? Conrad, when our God is crucifiable, that means that every assumption that we have about how life works, about what um, society is animated by, 
all of that gets turned upside down. Um, when the most high, we believe, becomes most low and is found in the places where everybody runs from that apparently God ran to, then all our assumptions get completely turned upside down. James Cone says um, uh, uh, that a black preacher would never preach the gospel without preaching the life of Jesus because the life of Jesus is the gospel. So what's the difference between gospel and Jesus then as, as you're using them? I would say nothing. I would say the reason why um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are referred to as the Gospels is because they're the Gospel. Um, uh, the, the life of Jesus, the, the story of his life, ministry, miracles, exorcism, um, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension is the Gospel. But So what are people saying is the Gospel then? If you're saying you're talking too much about Jesus, you need to talk about the Gospel. What do you think they're meaning then? Yeah, and um, I think for a lot of people, the gospel is a theory of um, what to do with sin and how to get saved. And so um, Jesus becomes a mechanism um, that is mentioned as an important part of the story to deal with the problem. So often the gospel for a lot of people is about you um, and it gets framed as a positive. And uh, 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 Billy uh, Halliday, Billy Moody and Billy Graham Um, In the 20th century, um, All for America helped frame um, this particular way of thinking, which in itself is just um, a a more elegant version of a Christianity which doesn't question larger society, but does um, uh, upend your heart. And so it's not saying that what happens in people's hearts isn't genuine, but it gets trapped there. So often for uh, the altar call, it can sound like, come and invite Jesus into your heart. Uh, but don't let him into like how you treat refugees. Uh, because if we're to take seriously that Jesus is the gospel, let's think about the reality um, that we still have hundreds of people in hotels in Brisbane, um, in uh, Manus Island, uh, bullied by um, uh, Australian uh, policy and our aid used to manipulate poor nations like Papua New Guinea, um, uh, Nauru, Christmas Island, um, that you lock up these people that we fear, and this is somehow supposedly um, to make Australia safe. What it is for us to consider these questions with Jesus being the gospel is to take Jesus so seriously that um, those realities get upended. The church is revealed to be playing chaplain to agendas that crucified Christ when we contribute, collaborate, uh, and completely are complicit in the ongoing crucifixion of people who have their backs against the wall, to quote Howard Thurm. Uh, the, the, the poor, the lost, the last, the least, the left out, the least of these, those looked over and left behind. A Christianity which continues um, to m- marginalise, manipulate, oppress and subdue such people is a Christianity that has little to do with Christ other than it reveals what Christ came to expose. So you talked about, Conrad, uh, like what you you seem to put these two things in contradiction. Um, And uh, you'll know that um, my dear friend, Richard Raw, who's been very kind to me over the years, and uh, we first um, spoke together, I guess, in 2006 at a conference. Um, uh, Last time we caught up for a face-to-face, some of our back and forward was particularly around um, not everything belongs for me. Um, There is a dualism present in those who are committed to following Jesus because we follow Jesus somewhere. 
So to follow Jesus is to ask, where's Jesus going? And we follow Jesus into that world that God dreams of, where there is an end to oppression, injustice, sin, and death. And so what does it look like for our lives to be a witness to there now? So we should not have a place for injustice to belong in us. We should not feel comfortable about the realities of white supremacy, which continue to animate policy, even though white Australia policy was like apparently left behind previously. When we look at the incarceration of Aboriginal people in our nation and um, the, the disproportionate, if we have spiritualities which are Gnostic in nature, which want to save us from everything Jesus came to save, I mean, it's John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The world, the word there in Greek is cosmos. God so loved everything. So I, I don't know how Christians could not be environmentalists. I, I don't know how Christians could not take climate change seriously. I don't know why Christians would be threatened by science and, and what that says about our worldview. And so often these things that we take as commitments have little to do with the person of Jesus and everything to do with fish don't know they're wet and we swim in waters that mean that anything which challenges um, uh, Jesus being a theory of dealing with our sins. But Conrad, to say clearly, uh, of course I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Uh, of course um, the cross is central to my theology, but it's not central in calling me to a passivity that is compliant with all that Jesus came to save us from. It's instead a call to take up my own, to live the love that puts me in the same position that our Lord was in, that my life is pitted against the world that is fading away and welcoming the world of justice, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit that Jesus is ushering in. I don't know what it is to be a Christian if it's not to follow Jesus in that kind of way. Because you are looking at, you're looking at the symbol and the man that was and is Jesus. Mm. And I guess my question, and, and you follow that and you go, okay, well, if Jesus was this back then, he was outside empire, he loved the poor, he healed the sick, he helped the homeless, he, um, he was a pacifist till his death, he was nailed to the cross by empire, by uh, an empire desiring to control, dominate, and change. Uh, th- this picture of Jesus, once again, is like everyone kind of, we all know it, yeah? And so my question becomes, and you began to dig into it a little bit, my question becomes is what you're saying a lot of Christianity agrees with, like in whole. They're like, yeah, of course, Jesus was love. He was all these things. Until? Why? why exactly. Why? Yeah. Why is it? That when you say, of co- like, how does following Jesus not lead you to trust scientists on climate change and do something about it? Why does it not lead you to encounter the horror of locking people on an island for indefinite periods of time? Why does it not lead you to, to expand and include? Why does it? Like, the, my question, I guess, to you is, what is it about the Christianity we see today in the West that leads people to anti-immigration sentiment? to the oppression of LGBT, to denial of climate change. Like, the, like a lot of stere- the stereotype of Christianity today is like the Australian Christian lobby. Mm. They're not pro, they don't like fight for the environment. They, they're largely pushing for um, marriage to remain between men and women. They're largely pushing for um, like transgender bathrooms. They're the main headline thing. So I'm stereotyping them as well, but they're the main headline points. And so 
what is the difference? Like, why is it controversial as soon as you get to this, I suppose, political level? You say, well, if Jesus did this, 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 and this, you're saying the logical conclusion for me is, well, I'm going to... I'm going to house the homeless. I'm going to protest in humane treatment of refugees. I'm going to push for a sustainable environment that we can all live in. Why, I, why is that where we lose a lot of Western Christianity? Yeah, and um, we might need to say Christianities, Conrad, um, because I don't right. want to... Because often when we just say one Christianity, um, what we're affirming is that um, uh, dominant white Western um, neoliberal consumerist Christianity is the default. When in fact, the average Christian in the world today is a woman, she's black, she's on the African continent, and she's under the age of 30. I mean, that's just today, let alone history. But to take seriously that Christianity itself is a tradition um, from uh, what some ancient geographers would refer to as the north of Africa in terms of that particular um, section that we now refer to as the Middle East, that our Lord himself had African people in his family tree in um, the first chapter of the first gospel in the New Testament, um, uh, that this is the social location, that Christianity was African ever before it was European. Um, that that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love melon and challenge people like me, but my preacher line would be, Conrad, it just means that we're not the centre of the story. And this is really important, the, the way that we um, talk about Christianity, um, uh, if it continues to centre men, if it continues to centre the Western tradition, if it continues to centre white people, if it continues to centre um, uh, just those with a particular orientation and deliberately blinds itself to the reality for the rest of humanity, um, what we miss out on is the rest of the church. And I'm convinced, Conrad, that so many um, of our generation who are walking away from church aren't walking away um, uh, because they're done with the body of Christ. They're like, too much embodiment of Jesus. I'm out of here. I hate this love your enemy stuff. I hate this sell all you have and give to the poor. I'm done with like trusting like the lilies of the fields and the birds of the air. Like uh, that's it. I'm instead, I'm rejecting the body of Christ. I I want to go find a way that is actually okay with the exploitation, domination, alienation that passes for economics in today's world. But instead, people are leaving the church because they can't find the body of Christ. They're desperate for an embodied people who live like Jesus, that are grace-filled, where it's not games of more woke than thou, but instead um, a confession actually animates that I'm part of the problem. Um, Jared desperately needs Jesus, not to take God's wrath um, as an asbestos shield because God looks nothing like Jesus, People, Conrad, who believe in a God that doesn't look like Jesus need to invite their God to invite Jesus into his heart. I, I don't know how to put it more clearly than that. Like if if our picture of God doesn't look like what's revealed in the Nazareth, we're, I don't know how we can call ourselves Christians. If our picture of God instead looks like something that's less good than the God of the liberation, the God of all creation, the creator who oppressed Jews worshipped throughout history, who is slow to anger and abounding in love, 
But somehow the New Testament then gives us a God who doesn't look like the one Jesus calls Abba, but instead looks like a monster who needs to take out his bloodlust on someone. So takes it out on somehow a lesser part of himself instead of the revelation of himself. So his forgiveness can actually be actualized. How do we get there from the New Testament? And we get there when our theologies about Jesus take preeminence and supremacy from Jesus. You don't get there if you listen to Jesus and you're found in the places where Jesus is found. Majority of Christianity around the world doesn't look like what is selling in Kurong today. <laughs> Can I put it like that? Like, like, and 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 if 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 we don't take seriously that part of the things that we need to be saved from is Christianity that doesn't look like Christ, we will spend our lives propping up systems which are actually part of the problem, which Jesus is calling, come out, my people, that we might be part of a people who embody the way of Jesus. Conrad, we literally have a church which keeps saying, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the way, and embodies so little of the way of Jesus. And to the rest of the world, that is a clanging cymbal and a banging gong, and it makes no sense to no one because there's no love embodied. There's no love seen. Love isn't a so reality. So I'm hearing when you say the way of Jesus, it almost seems a very literal transplant of his life to say the way of Jesus is <laughs> to do whatever we can to. It sounds silly me saying it because it, it yeah. does sound obvious as soon as you say it. But there is something being missed that I'm trying to trying to unpack here. When you say the way of Jesus, it's this loving your neighbor, doing what you can for somebody else, loving, like being outwardly focused. Are you, what, what is it that you mean when you say the God needs to invite Jesus into his heart and people need Jesus in their heart? What do you, because that's, that's a Christian phrase that's been used <laughs> infinitum. And yeah. I think I'm not even entirely sure. I think when everyone uses it, they might mean something differently. So when yeah. you use it, what do you mean when you say, like, in, we need Jesus in our hearts, like, like the physical, like, how did, like, what are you meaning when you say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to be really clear, um, of course, uh, like, the, the doctrine of the immutability of God means that God has always been like what is revealed in Jesus. Um, but what I'm playing with is when I listen to certain people um, uh, talk about God, their theory of atonement or what they understand um, uh, uh, of the life, death, burial, resurrection and ascension of Jesus um, seems to trump the person of Jesus. I think Jesus provides his own definitions for what his life means. And Jesus didn't leave us with a theory. He left us with a meal that is shared, that we break and share amongst one another. And once hungry people are fed and there is enough for everyone's need, but not everybody's greed, when there is none amongst us um, who is need and all are shared in common, we see a picture of the world that God desires. That's where all of history is going. And to claim that like Jesus has ushered that in, um, that the kingdom has started and we're to participate in it, is to actually take part in that reality by the way that we live our life. So um, I'm being provocative when I say that people need to um, uh, go to their God and ask their God to invite Jesus into God's heart um, because God has always been like Jesus um, uh, to, to half quote my dear friend BZ. Um, and we didn't always realize this, but now we do. Um, once we 
get to that place, once we realize we can start to see how our language of the heart is completely problematic. Um, not that there isn't talk of the heart in um, the scriptures. Uh, in fact, it's part of the Shema, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Um, uh, and our Lord reaffirms that and also adds um, mind into the Shema, which wasn't present in the Shema, but apparently intellectual integrity is of such importance to Jesus that he wants our imaginations and our intellect to also be offered back to God as worship, which is really important not to miss. So if we're doing that, heart for a Jewish person wasn't merely about intentions. It was the engine of one's whole life i.e. for a Jewish person, you look at the habits of their life and you can see somebody's heart. Um, This is why Jesus' half-brother, James, says, um, uh, you tell me your faith by what you do, but um, I will show you my faith by what I do. So it's almost heart being synonymous with like the fruits of the spirit, so to speak, like what, what we action in the world and how we move through the world. That's what you're using as heart. So to invite Jesus into this heart is to, is to become as much as you can through like the action and the outflow. Yeah. So Conrad, I'd put it in terms of, um, uh, let's say we were just taking Jesus' life and teachings as a program for social change. So let's say there's no resurrection, which f- for me, the resurrection is everything. It's why I'm pitting my whole life um, on this stuff. It- it's why I've lived the-, the, the way I have. But let's say we're just going with Jesus' um, life and teaching, uh, that there is no metaphysics, that we live in a materialist universe. What it would be for somebody to take Jesus seriously as um, a form of personal and social transformation, I think every Christian should at least be doing that. Now, when you actually add to that the fact that, like, Jesus is risen from the grave, that the future that God dreams of has become a waking reality in the resurrection, that the resurrection is God's radical affirmation, not of empire, uh, not of the institutions of religion, and politics which collaborated to crucify Jesus. So when people say, well, politics and religion work quite well together, I'm like, that's right, you've read your New Testament. They work well together to crucify God. And for every Christian, that should give us point of pause. Whenever we find ourselves in the courts of coercive power, seeking to play chaplain so that those courts um, can run more easily with people not having a troubled conscience, we've actually forgotten the call to conversion, which is actually to step into a world without domination by the way that we witness to Jesus. And it's all grace. The whole thing is grace. This isn't a works-based salvation, but grace naturally goes. If, if Bob Goff is right and love does, we also need to say grace goes. And we got to go with grace. Um, uh, um, the founder of the Vineyard Movement talked about the way that we get in is the way that we get on. If you understand you getting into the story, in ways that um, look less than the love of Jesus, the way you'll get on following him will look less than the love of Jesus. We need to take seriously when John says, dearly beloved, love one another for love is of God. Everyone, everyone, the person on your phone now, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Those who do not love do not know God because God is love. That's straight scripture. That, that's from Jesus's best mate, the beloved disciple. 
And his take, his hot take is that we know what love is, that Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. His hot take is um, that um, uh, God sent his son that we might live through him. Christianity isn't a set of stagnant doctrines. It's actually a way of being in the world if Christianity is going to be named by Christ. So, Conrad, to go back to your point about heart, the language of accepting Jesus into your heart was developed by um, Charles Finney, who was an abolitionist. He wanted to end slavery, and he looked out at Christianity um, in America at the time and its support of slavery, and he thought people needed to take their baptism seriously, whether it was as a child with sprinkling or as an adult getting dunked. And so he held these revival meetings that called people to take their baptism seriously, to be embodied body of Christ. And so he would call people to accept into their heart the grace that was theirs in the water of baptism. That has been distorted to such an extent now that we think about following Jesus and coming to Christ as an individualist um, invitation where we accept Jesus into our heart and we trap him there. Like that's bifurcated so um, salvation and bifurcated salvation, helpfully, um, its initials are BS. And I think we need to name it as BS. Either Jesus is Lord of all, Conrad, or not Lord at all. Mate, I feel like preaching. Have you noticed? Like I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. the Holy Ghost. I'm like, I've got a million different avenues to, to try and like to, to go down and unpack. Okay. So I think I understand this, <laughs> this image of heart, like Jesus in your heart. Isn't this like literal, like there's one picture of it where you've got this ethereal kind of God out there. And then if you say the right prayer or do the right thing, then like the, it magically like comes in and you're saved. Cause you seem to be really narrowing in on at least what seems to be a limitation within Westernized cultural Christianity to be specific. The one I'm referring to is the one I grew up with. The one I look around in my world and see and I'll reflect back and see if I'm on the right track. So I'm, I'm understanding what you're saying is we took this and the Christianity we see today in the West seems to be more a reflection of a few things. It seems to be a reflection of materialist transactional like consumer, like we pray a yep. prayer, yep. God will give us a blessing. It seems to be a reflection yep. of like empire uh, a, a means to go and make other people like myself. If I evangelize to people, you need to be a Christian. I'm really kind of saying you need to be more like me. And that's kind of what the British Empire did with, with everything. They went to India and went, you know, we're superior, be like us. Yeah. And then there's... And, and to pause there, Conrad, let's, let's spell it out like explicitly. Um, so here we have Christendom traveling around the world to steal, kill and destroy... In the name of Jesus. Now, yes. my Lord says the Crusades that exactly. <laughs> killing, stealing, killing, and destroying is what the thief does, but that he has come to bring life and life to its fullest. So when people say, "Jared, your your Christianity seems very confrontational," Amen. Like I, I serve a Jesus who says, "I have not come to bring the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, but a sword." Now it's the sword of nonviolence which heals, but it's no less provocative. And um, we need so to. So is it provocative as- because it pushes a like um um because like this pacifist frame, this like non-violent frame, and then people go to you saying, "Listen, I'm non-violent." They go, "Mate, you're very provocative, and you're very radical, and you're very yeah. like oh, a bit in your face." Is that is that because 
that you can either look at it as saying you're the out there crazy one or are you trying to are you flipping it and saying look at the system and the water we swim in we call normal this this system yeah. that we look at refugees and we store them on an island with no hope of escape and go ah oh, like that's just the way it kind of needs to be and yeah. you're the crazy one for tying yourself to a building and saying can we show humanity to people who are from other countries you're the, so, so it, it's, it's just a simple question conrad yeah, uh, Martin Luther King talked about it as um, uh, we must not be um, adjusted to injustice. We must be maladjusted to injustice. Mm-hmm. And when we have a Christianity um, uh, w- which is adjusted to injustice, where um, what looks more like Jesus? Politicians who weekly tithe and attend church but oversee policies that not only reject the stranger, but put them under the mental torment where we've had literally people killed in these policies or a Christianity which welcomes them, or at least um, uh, while welcoming them, it seeks to expose uh, the, the inhumane audacity of such policies. And I think for most people, it's pretty clear. It's like, oh, Jesus. And yet we have fancy theological ways to convince ourselves that Christians should be the ones in power. But when, when we are So addicted- let's be straight. Let's like, I'll be, I'll be very obvious. Scott Morrison, Christian in power. And many, many uh, of my friends have said they're happy to see a Christian. They like that he goes to church and it's part of his character that it's good to see a Christian there. But you're really pointing out and saying, you know, what doesn't look like Jesus to me <laughs> is someone like Scott Morrison who'll go to church and do these like individualistic personal salvation things. Like he's probably praying the right prayers and he's, he's singing the right songs and giving the right amount of money. But you're looking at, I suppose, the policies that are consistently enacted by this Christian in government and saying, how is, where is Jesus in that policy? Where is the love in that policy? Where is. Yeah. And Conrad, to, to make it clear, um, uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood. This isn't against my brother, Scott. Um, uh, uh-huh. he's, he might be um, better I- intentions um, uh, uh-huh. than even I am. So I um, judge not lest you be judged. The measure you judge others will be measured against you. So I want to be as gracious as I can. But that passage goes on to say our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this dark age. Okay, so talk to me about that because... Let's just even take the word um, uh, principalities. Principalities are about um, principles. Uh, It's about what animates the way we are in the world. Um, Powers... uh, Okay, I'll be honest with you there, and I always interpreted principalities growing up as like a demonic realm and they build like little castles in this demonic realm that I can't see. Anyway, keep going. That's That was my... I'm glad to have a new definition of principalities. So... um. But even in terms of uh, the language of naming evil in the New Testament um, should not be lost on us into magical fairy thinking, but instead um, be seen as an incredibly insightful, intuitive way of actually naming the dynamics of that which animate individuals and institutions in society against the good purposes, humanising purposes, of God and God's coming reign or kingdom. 
So anything that animates like ideas and powers, like um, the, the powers that be like, what is the, so um, ideas like that Muslims are inherently evil. Mm-hmm. That's a principality. That's a, like a principality. Okay. That is something that threatens seeing the image I... of God in another. That's something that undermines Jesus' command to love our neighbor. No asterisks, not if they worship like me, think like me, vote like me. There's no disclaimer there. It's just everybody. Um, And when we allow principalities and powers to bifurcate our salvation, where it's not that there's not a split in Christianity, everything doesn't belong. Injustice, evil, sin, oppression, violence does not belong. But what we tend to do is we make a split between the individual and the outward. So as long as my heart's in the right place. So literally, Conrad, um, in the the 16th century, um, you had a a two-kingdom theology from Martin Luther and uh, his advice to an executioner who was a Christian was kill your Anabaptist brother or sister because they're calling everybody to sell what they have, give to the poor and practice enemy love. Um, but do it without hatred in your heart because hatred in your heart would be an unchristian way of being an executioner. So we have theologies which make sure that our heart is in the right place while we do the work of the devil. But again, um, Jesus's um, beloved best mate says um, that the son of man was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the work of the devil. If the work of the devil is stealing, killing and destroying, Anything which is literally stealing land, stealing stories, um, stealing language, killing people, genocide and destruction of of cultures, all of that is what we're to have nothing to do with. And the grace of God actually invites us into a graceful future where everything can change. Conrad, we are living through an unprecedented ecological crisis, and sadly our vision sometimes doesn't go further than healing from my fundamentalism. I hope for healing for everybody, but what we need more than healing from our fundamentalism is healing of our ecologies and societies that constantly come at the cost of the poor and the expense of the earth. We've got to have that kind of vision. That's the kind of revival. And I think Jesus has to be at the centre of it just because of the practicalities of his teaching let alone the, an ontology of who he actually is. I'm hearing a, the contrast of this personalization of salvation, this, mm-hmm. uh, this personalization of if, if Jesus comes to save me individually and my goal is to go beyond and save everybody else individually, it sounds as if you're saying that has detached us and almost empowered us to be able to not worry about what the outcome might be, not worry about like, oh, well, I meant well, but then the outcome is violence, the outcome is pain. Mm. But then if, if I encounter that, I suppose guilt or discomfort of going, ah, oh, like I, I'm buying plastic water because I think it are plastic bottles of water because I think it's these things. And I go, Oh, I guess that's a bad thing to trivialize it. The salute to put it one way, the solution, the modern Western Christian solution would, would say, that's okay. Pray for forgiveness. Dear Jesus, please forgive, give, forgive me for buying so many plastic bottles. Um, amen. And then I'm like, okay, so that's good. My personal soul is saved. Um, and then I go, well, I'm going to, you know, obviously keep buying and and struggling with it because it's my personal level of salvation. But you're painting this picture of this connectedness of 
community. Like salvation mm. isn't for the individual. It's always a communal reality. Always. We can never be saved by ourselves ever. We are always saved into a people. So talk to me about that, that idea that I'm hearing. I'm hearing a very, and it's, to be honest, from, from at least my worldview, it's very, it's a difficult concept to grasp because the picture of a human for me is, is an individual. I am separate from my family. I am, I am the master of my own domain. I have free will. I can make choices. I can do all these things. And these are the stories that, that uh, Western culture has fed me. You know, it's done some great things. But what are the limitations of that? When you're talking about salvation can only be done together, what what does that mean? Yeah, Conrad, I think it means that salvation is practical, right? So what does okay. it mean? Um, so Gandhi talked about um, uh, Christians want to be saved from the consequences of sin. I want to be saved from sin itself. Now, Gandhi is a problematic. And sin as you're using it there is what? Uh, for, for Gandhi in that context, he, he just meant uh, anything that was um, not keeping with the will of God, which he understood God to be truth. Um, uh, cool. So, so but, but to, to take these terms and to realise that sin in the New Testament is an, um, it, it's a relational term, not an individual term. So um, salvation is also a relational term. Like um, uh, whether it's quantum physics um, or, um, you know, Martin Luther King, uh, we are bound together in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects one indirectly. That's why injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We, we've got to be able to actually name that we're all in this together. Th there is no way out of our ecological crisis without one another. Part of the reason why we're mm. commanded to, to love one another is that if I can't accept and love those parts of myself that I, I continually write off, I'll never be able to love others in larger community. The work of loving our enemies, those who despitefully use us, um, those who say all kinds of false things about us, those who send death threats uh, to our home despite our kids living here and what if they open the mail, um, all that kind of stuff, what it is to actually be freed from mirroring um, that which Jesus came to overcome. And that's why discipleship that is following Jesus, that is putting his example and teachings into action, that is living God's love, participating in the love that undoes all injustice, um, that in and of itself is healing. And the word salvation um, in the Greek is directly connected to healing. What is it to be healed from all that which separates us um, from the spirit of all life, from our sisters and brothers, from our neighbours, from our strangers and even our enemies, and to take seriously that when we talk of reconciliation, it's a cosmic vision, not just, hey, can you effect, uh, forget the fact that, um, you know, this was all taken through land theft, uh, we've said sorry and we're cool now, right? That's not reconciliation. Reconciliation is all things being healed so justice flows to all. And that's, that's some of the... If salvation is practical, go back to um, the plastic bottle example. First off, who gives a damn about plastic bottles when we've got multinational corporations uh, like Rio Tinto, um, uh, like Fortescue Metal, who are deliberately working for policies for Australia to not actually take any lead in addressing our ecological crisis? And people are like, 
oh, but is my heart in the right place? This (laughs) silly kind of like purity game stuff is part of the problem. We have no ability to discern the principalities and powers, and so we play purity games, and it's a form of um, nihilistic apathy where instead we compete in being more woke than thou, then we actually welcome one another, call one another in instead of out to be communities where we can actually embody an alternative. That takes a different imagination. Let me put this something I'm hearing and tell me what you think of it. Are you having fun yet, Conrad? Oh man, there's too many avenues. I'm, I'm just trying to do it justice. To the metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're talking about this Christianity, this Western Christianity that's been impacted by, at least to, to say it shortly, this individualized, this localization of everything. It's just within me. It's my personal salvation. It's these purity games. How can I be better? But even in that brief example you give of, um, of woke culture, do you, th- do you think there's that same, I, uh, that same invasion of individualist culture within the people who might have deconstructed from Christianity moved into something else searching for their own personal enlightenment but then also going well what can you as the individual do it's your fault if there's too many plastic bottles it's your fault if there's these things this localization do you see the same I'm seeing you describe a very similar pattern that's within like let's say the secular woke world or you know some environmental worlds as well, like condemning the individual. You need to be more pure. You need to be better. You need to be, you know, maybe a lot of militant vegans going around being like, you need to like do all these things. And I can't help but see a correlation there between the fundamentalist Christian saying, you need to repent of your sins and say the vegan going, you need to not drink that milk. Yeah. Is there a correlation and, there of worldviews? And, and, and here's the interesting thing, depending on the milk um, that uh, I'm drinking, um, uh, both of them are probably right. I mean, Conrad, I really do need to change the way I'm living that comes at the cost of other people, that diminishes the dignity of my sisters and brothers around the world. When we have um, preachers in sneakers wearing sneakers that are made by children uh, in situations of real slave labour camps, one of which I've been in Uh, when I was last in India and seeing a child at 11 years old and uh, that being his reality. And then we want to pray a prayer um, uh, to make us feel less guilty about it. One of the er biggest threats to early Christianity was Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was the belief that um, uh, Christ came to save us from creation, that our bodies are bad, that the earth is bad, and that Christ came to save us from it. Uh, One of the early church fathers Justin Martyr, so-called, because he was martyred. Like, that. <laughs> that's a great way to get a nickname. Um, uh, it, Justin Martyr said, there are those that claim that there are no, there is no resurrection from the dead and that when they die, their souls are taken to heaven. Direct quote. He goes on to say, they are godless, impious heretics. If we slow down just for a moment to realise that what passes as much of Christianity that our souls will one day go to heaven, that the early church called godless and impious and heretical. The Christian hope is that through Jesus, not that we go to heaven, but that heaven has started to come here. Salvation is practical, as in um, to follow Jesus is to follow him out of all oppression into ways of relating to one another without domination, without power games, where, where kindness, 
becomes our way of operating and justice uh, becomes our way of advocating, uh, what we're advocating for. Uh, to connect that, mm. to say that the kingdom, um, this, this utopia that the prophets talked about, isn't something to experience when we die, uh, but is instead God's desire for us to experience real life, then everything gets flipped on its head. Because if the kingdom is coming here, salvation looks like starting to participate in communities where when it comes to plastic bottles, we're like, hey, actually in community together, um, we don't have to live at a pace of life where grabbing water off the shelf um, is how we have to do things. In, in fact, um, we can live in, in such ways where um, uh, we're providing water not just for ourselves that's sustainable, but for others as well. That comes out of a different imagination, the imagination of the prophets, where everybody will have a vine and fig tree, live in peace and unafraid. Now, that's not just about bread and water uh, for the poor. Vines are used for wine, Conrad. It's a party. Figs are a dessert in the ancient world. It, it's, it's, you know, this is like mangoes. This is like um, uh, the goodness of the reality of creation of which we're a part, of which all of which is being saved. And if, if salvation is going to be mean healing, Christians need to welcome in God's healing for all of reality. So it changes the way we're on the land. It changes the way we relate. And this is to go back to the tree hugger thing. How could we not hug a tree? How, how could we not actually welcome that different reality? If God so loved all of reality that God sent of God's self revealed fully in the second person, the Holy Trinity that we refer to as the sun, a political term, that was used of Caesar, and yet we're using it of this crucified peacenik from Nazareth, well, then everything changes. The whole thing is up for grabs. So salvation is not just for the individual to escape this current planet. You're saying salvation... Hell no. In fact, that let me say it clearly, Conrad, that's heresy. That is actual heresy. You're, and you're saying heresy, like that's the opposite of what Jesus stood for. Jesus does not come to save us from what he came to save. If God so loved all of creation mm. that he sent, um, we have got to be a part. So the question becomes, well, what are we being saved from then? If I'm not being saved from physicality, if I'm not being saved from my body, in fact, if my body is good, if sexuality is good, if the earth is good, if dirt under my fingers is good, if, if planting... Um, uh, food and watching it grow and um, uh, learning how to live in right relationship with the land that we're mm. on is good. What does salvation mean? And I think in Jesus we see what it clearly means is that we're saved practical. from not only just practical, but we have to name it directly that Christianity philosophically is a direct challenge to naming that, well, this is just the way it is. That, of course, hmm. there are poor people. The poor will always be with you. A pushing of reality towards the picture that Jesus was painting and not a, a picture of, of, a, of a distant kingdom in the skies, yeah. but the, the continual movement towards the kingdom to bring the kingdom here. And yeah. I guess it sounds ob obvious to say, for God so loved the world is what you're pulling out, saying the world, not, ju not just humans, not just a human soul, but animals. All of creative reality. Yeah. Um, the, the galaxies, um, uh, you know, depending on, um, 
your understanding of uh, physics philosophically, um, not just this universe, but maybe multiverses, like everything <laughs> that is, right? Um, all of that. Um, and so what we're being saved from is not creation, but all domination, all injustice. So um, to, to take some of the favourite imagery of, um, you mentioned um, invent, Adventist influences. Um, so Isaiah 11, um, uh, the, uh, the lamb will lay down uh, with the wolf. Like, um, so some people want to go, well, that's a literal kind of, well, at least for the poetry of the prophets, what it means is a way of creation relating to each other, which is not predatory, but is participatory. To, to name clearly what, well, often in the New Testament, unhelpfully, um, the language in English is translated sarks. Uh, well, the Greek word is sarks, is translated flesh. And so it lends people to thinking that like, oh, my, my body is bad. Um, and aeon or age is sometimes translated world. Um, so Jesus' half-brother, um, that um, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Um, it's like, well, is, is Jesus' half-brother contradicting John's gospel? Does God not so love the world? Um, and part of our imagination needs to pass through this theological criteria in terms of scripture. God created all things good. Tov, 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 tov. Seven times in, in Hebrew, it is good. But all things are fallen. And that is a um, ontological protest against all violence in reality. So um, have you seen The Lion King? Yes, definitely. Yeah, well, it's great, right? I so had a child. I watched it, watched it um, uh, with my boys, the new version. Um, it was great. One of the things that um, uh, we were joking about with, my boys is the circle of life, right? You know that song? Um, yes, who, yes. Who, who would write that song? Like what animal in the animal kingdom would w write a song about the circle of life? Was it the lion? Yeah. Why would the lion write that everything has its place, there's a circle, and it's cool to just eat different things? <laughs> what, why is that a song that the lion would sing? Because it needs to eat food. <laughs> Yeah, it, it needs to eat, but it's also on the top of the freaking pyramid. And when oh, we have yeah, circle yeah, yeah. of life theology, which actually says, well, actually, this is just because of karma. This is because you did something awful mm. in another life. It, it meets the need of humans that we're meaning making machines. Um, or when we say it's because someone is blessed and somebody else is cursed, it meets that need because we're meaning making machines. The, the terror that Job experiences of a, a, a whirlwind of mystery and m majestic wonder and awe, fearful awe at the reality of all of creation is, is a pretty unsatisfactory answer if you're trying to sell somebody a product, despite the fact it's true. So to sit underneath the stars at night and realise that everything is shot through with an unfailing love, and yet I'm so small and our lives are so fragile, yet they're beautiful and they're valuable. It is hard to sell people stuff when you're content with your place in all of God's good creation. And so we need to name that all of reality is radically good, ontologically good, but is shot through with a violence and that in Jesus, all things will be redeemed. And so 
people should open up the book of James and go, friendship with, cross out the word world. It's not a helpful translation. Write the fall (laughs) or write domination or write injustice or write violence Mm -hmm. because friendship with all that dominates is hatred towards a God that's revealed in Jesus. If we worship a God who's crucifiable, we have a very different understanding of power and we should have a very different understanding of God. Not that God is any less on the side of the oppressed, uh, working, hearing their cries and working to liberate them. Uh, that is the, the God of our Jewish neighbours and it's the God of anybody who's going to worship a Jewish Jesus. But the mystery of God, the creator, is revealed to be this fierce, justice-pursuing, nonviolent love. That That is a radically different faith than somebody who wants to, uh, I need to accept Jesus in my heart and trap him there. So what would it mean for Christianity to actually accept Jesus into the Christianity's heart? Well, it would mean very little for those who think that heart language is about our intentions. Well, Jesus can have my intentions as long as I can still chop off the head Uh, As long as I can still do my job, as long as I can still work for a business whose business model is about land theft from First Nations people and extraction of materials to sell them overseas. So not that the Commonwealth experiences um, uh, those goods, but just a a few billionaires in Australia who can influence policy. Um, So that that's not any good news at all. But if heart is actually the engine of our habits, for Christianity to accept Jesus into its heart was to mean that we would hear his words and put them into practice, which would mean that we were like a wise person who was building upon his liberating teachings instead of fools who continue to build on sand. And as storms of life come, we find that our faith actually is nothing much at all and is swept away. I appreciate the consistent definitions of the different language and metaphorical language that's being used because so often we hear it in religious contexts like heart 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 and no one stops to go pause my heart's a physical organ what are you what are you talking about so i I really appreciate that and i want to i want to now dig into the practical i want to now go headfirst into some people will be listening and they will be thinking it sounds like you're talking about works-based religion because they will say, well, now it's like, it's now what I do. Salvation is based on what I do. Uh, Differentiate those two approaches for me. The one that says there is an outflow and, and uh, onflow of the, of Jesus in the heart as a practical output but differentiate the idea of like a works-based salvation, I guess. Like if someone was to say that to you, be like, it sounds works-based. It sounds like I have to do all these things in order to be good enough. What would you say to that? Maybe let's go to the classic text that people go to. Like, so this is Ephesians 2 verse 8. Bible study, everyone. Um, (laughs) He's got a Bible right in front of him. This guy is legit. For it is by grace that you have been saved through trace, uh, f- faith or trust, pistos, um, uh, a, a good loyalty. Um, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. So that's eight and nine. And most people stop there and they're like, ha, Jared, see, it's grace. It's through faith. It's not from yourself. Oh, man, 
um, like I'm I'm completely on the same page. But what do you do with the next verse? Like, look at this. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship or um, creative. The, the word there is the same word for poem. Um, we are God's like creative artwork. Artwork. Created in Messiah Jesus to do good works. What? What? Is this Paul teaching like works-based like, what? good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do? What? Are, are you saying that like apparently... The grace of the gospel is that we get to participate in the life of God so that our very nature goes from, as Jesus prays for us, so like phenomenally compassionately, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. So we go to unknowingly participating in the oppression of others, unknowingly playing the game of death while quoting Bible verses, um, to what Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, that we're to um, practice um, uh, kindness to those who are suffering in such ways that our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing. There is such a participation that we go from unknowing the evil we're doing to unknowing the justice we're participating in. That's the depth of what it means to invite into our hearts. If our hearts is not merely intentions, but the engines of our habits and patterns and way of life. If we take seriously that, like as um, John put it, uh, uh, those who claim to be in him must walk as Jesus walked. <laughs> Again, this is just the New Testament. It's not the verses that people tend to go to, but it's in there towards the back. Let's go, let's go political then. Because as you're describing this, when almost when Christian becomes the chaplain to the cause of empire, when, when Christianity becomes, it's okay, go fight our wars because you'll go to heaven. It's okay, these wars are justified because our God's on our side. Um, then when we go to the political, I noticed you mentioned like pulling out the fact that there's these purity games we can play. Like I need to be a better person for at, like in all different levels and we can play it on the on the literalistic uh, transactional Christian salvation level, dear Lord, please save me so I can go to heaven. And we can play it on the, on the secular, am I vegan enough level as well. (laughs) And then you mentioned, you mentioned as well, well now there are, and, and I'll use the word principalities here, or these like these forces called corporations that don't have, they have a person at the top, but they're beholden to shareholders. All these it's, there's no humanity in it. Yeah. It's like all incentive structures. Yep. Like, and, yet it has a certain dynamic and power. That is exactly what principalities and powers are. So let's let's take that and go to the political level where you go, okay, there is there is mining companies, like you said, that uh, the whole premise is built upon stealing land, taking, putting it into the atmosphere that we all pay the... I teach economics, so we all pay yeah. the externality of that. That's they right. They reap the profit. That's right. So... How then, because you say Jesus did like wouldn't bow to the forces of empire and those uh, political mechanisms. What does moving the Jesus way forward? What does it what does it look like for you in a practical political world to move towards this Jesus way of love, inclusion, acceptance, accepting the political dominance that corporation has on our public policy how do you engage with politics then yeah and j- just behind me is um, a number of my heroes 
Um, and you, you can see up here, uh, Philip Berrigan and Daniel Berrigan, um, two of my, uh -huh. my biggest um, heroes. One of the things that um, uh, Daniel Berrigan says uh, uh, or said, he, he's passed now. Um, I mean, if you want to turn your world upside down, read the poetry of Daniel Berrigan. This is somebody who was on the FBI's most wanted list um, for the way he was following Jesus. Like Daniel Berrigan is phenomenal. Daniel Berrigan said, if you're going to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. So, I mean, it's a, it's a strange altar call, Conrad, but I really think yeah. that um, when Jesus says, if you deny yourself and the, which self is really important there. So we're not talking about our true self. We're not talking about our God created self. We're not talking about that, which is um, uh, uh, liberated and affirmed in our baptism. We're talking about our false self. We're, we're talking about all the ways that we perform for others to kind of seek to be loved. And yet our true self isn't loved in the process and we get trapped. But what is it to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and realizing that cross doesn't mean I'm aware that you just lost your best mate. I, I lost my best mate from a drug overdose uh, when I was 19. Um, uh, my wife lost her mum to cancer. Um, uh, like these, these kind of tragedies, uh, whether it's this pandemic, um, or, uh, any number of things that affects all of humanity. Uh, the cross isn't any old suffering. Uh, the, the cross isn't, um, uh, you know, the psychological tension of, of holding, uh, paradoxes in our heart. The, the cross for the early Christians actually meant the consequences of living God's love in a world that is bent on the oppression of others, on the destruction of God's good creation. And so what it means practically is to love. You don't go looking for the cross. <laughs> Trust me, it'll come find you. Like uh, you don't go looking for people to hate you. Um, you. You don't go looking for hate mail. You don't go looking for death threats. But as, as you welcome refugees and asylum seekers in a, Australia, that um, systematically has put them out of sight and out of mind, where for going on seven years they've been locked up on offshore detention centres. If, if you start welcoming those people into your life, the cross will find you. And to take up our cross is to be really realistic that Jesus thinks that those who wish to find their life must lose it, but those who lose their life for the sake of the gospel and if Jesus is the gospel, if Jesus is God's dream for creation as a waking reality, and the way that um, uh, sin, Satan, death and oppression respond is by seeking to, to kill him. And yet if God's affirmation is that love, though crucifiable, always resurrects, we can trust that, that resurrection is actually a spirituality of committing ourselves to our bodies, to creation, um, to the suffering bodies of, of others, um, uh, to, to the goodness of life as participation with dignity with others instead of alienation and exploitation of others, then we can expect things to go badly, but that's just part of the deal. What does that look like for you on the political level? As we go, we exist within empire big yep. changes, like the largest changes to be made, like as I teach economics to yeah. my students, I go, listen, do all you can, but uh, be pragmatic. You being vegetarian, you being vegan, you not buying plastic water bowls, so you're not really going to change anything. 
Don't yeah. not saying don't do it, but there are big sis- systems and structures and incentives set up that they are the things that need to be changed. And it seems yeah. as if you go, well, how do we change it? And you inevitably get into politics, but then yeah. you're talking about not using the tool of empire to bring the kingdom, but is the tool of empire legislation? Like how do we deal with these big structures that are set up? Like, yeah, if great question, Conrad. Cause you're, you're obviously voting, right? You're obviously yep. v- like cast a vote. So talk to me about how you navigate that. Yeah, sure. Um, and there's to stereotype two major responses. One is let's do the holy huddle option. So um, in terms of the politics of Jesus's day, you've got the Herodians and the Sadducees, which are pretty close together. Um, uh, you've got um, uh, the Pharisees. Uh, you've got the Zealots, um, of which you don't really hear that much of, other than a few of them are Jesus's followers, which I find fascinating. But that's another point. And then you actually have a group that isn't mentioned in the Gospels, and they're the Essenes. And the Essenes, this last group, they're not mentioned because they've built a holy huddle. They've got their perfect utopian commune elsewhere. And a lot of Christianities go, as long as my hands are clean, as, as long as like um, uh, I'm not involved in, in bad stuff, I'm going to go join the Essenes. I'm going to go say my prayers, uh, pray for the kingdom to come and uh, judge everybody else um, while they get their hands dirty. Um, uh that option, Jesus clearly rejects. If you're going to get crucified, you can't be so removed from politics um, that you're a threat to nothing. But nor does Jesus go, and this is what other people tend uh, to do, is they're like, um, well, let me make it as practical as, let's talk about the early church relationship to um, being soldiers. We know that the early church had Christians who were soldiers, which will upset some people. And others will go, yes, of course. But if we don't pay attention to the particularities, we won't hear the prophetic challenge. Um, they weren't soldiers because war is fine and participating in this, uh, like these institutions are fine. The reason why we know that they were involved um, in the military is because they were martyred. And you're like, what? What kind of weird option is that? So it's not the Essenes option of you're not involved. But nor is it the zealot where you just take up the sword and go, well, we say our prayers, but we live in a fallen world. The number of times I've had pastors, theologians say, yes, but Jared, we live in a fallen world. And I'm like, so if I can understand what you're saying, Jesus teaches us these things, tells us to do them only because God has dependency issues where he needs us to fail and know that we suck so that we can then be saved and then think that God is great. I'm like, that's not good news. That God needs Jesus. They're some of the dynamics that I'm actually naming. So mm. if, if on one side you've got the zealot option, which is say your prayers, but we live in a fallen world, so you bear the sword and you try and... Which I will point out, I hear that same... So there's the Christian that says, yeah, but we live in a fallen world. What are you going to do? I get that same response from a non-Christian perspective. That's like, yeah, listen, mate, like my actions aren't going to change anything. So what's the point? It's almost like yeah. I'd put them, I, they seem to both fit in that zealot category, but keep going. Yeah. And, and part of that is often a, a sense of um, realistic. And I would even, I thought it was beautiful um, use of words of um, pushing towards the picture um, that Jesus painted before. And uh, like, that's, that's beautiful. Um, I would theologically say that it's actually not so much a pushing as it is a relaxing. 
Um, my wife gave birth four months ago. Um, the, the fact that Paul uses the image of, of childbirth for this new world in Romans 8 isn't lost on me. Um, uh, not that I was saying that to Kat as she was um, pushing out little Noah. You know, this is a beautiful example of, shut up, Jared! Yeah. Um, uh, but the the image of childbirth is it's actually a relaxing into your breath for what is already happening and allowing um, uh, allowing there is a um a sense of surrender and so to talk about the the contemplative life of this action which is my real passion um people uh the, the reason why the christian uh worldwide network for meditation had me a, as a keynote is because my real passion is for this work to be sustainable we have to learn to swim in the love of God, that it is more of a reality for us than the harm that has been done to us or the systems that we're up against. And when you say swim, is that like is that like seeing the world differently, like the way in which you see things? Um, it, yes, it's about perception, um, uh, but it's also about um, how we move. It's, it's, um, it's the energy that it comes from. So the fact that um, uh, we're not... Uh, fighting for God's new world as much as uh, we are welcoming it like a refugee. Okay. So, uh, like, like it's a natural occurrence that that we that is already, I suppose, it's like the principle of meditation, right? Meditation is yep. like you're already always meditate. Like all you have to do to meditate is be aware of yourself. And it's like it's it's an always happening, and you're becoming aware. Conrad, now we're actually getting to. Um, because all this stuff will stay in the abstract unless yes. it actually does to problematically bring us back to the language of the heart. Uh, for for yes. Hebrews, heart is the language of intuition, um, of imagination. Uh, it's the engine room for all of our life. Like in Psalm 51, when um, David, after, you know, killing a dude and committing adultery, when he says, um, create in me a, a, a clean heart, he isn't saying... Uh, so don't hold that one against me, but I'm probably going to do it again. He's saying, actually, I need, uh-huh. I need an imagination and intuition, um, a, 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 a thinking, um, a, an intention and a, um, a, a new engine from which my whole life can radiate. Do you and- think we've given up on that reality as like a Western Christian idea to say, like, if we, ex- if we accept the print, I'm just thinking of my own upbringing. Mm. If I accept the principle of like, yeah, but we're all sinners and we're all going to be sinners until God saves us ultimately from sin. But you're almost saying I can be transformed in this way. I can, like, I yep. believe in this, like, yep. I like, yeah, the David example saying, I want to never even look at that as an option. I want to, I want to look at the world as love and you believe that that is salvation in that sense. Uh, Salvation is healing. Um, Salvation is non-cooperation with that which God, um, that crucified Jesus and cooperation with the love that would even go to a cross. It's that practical. So to bring us back to the example in terms of politics, um, the reason why we knew that we had Christians in the military in the early church is because they refuse to go, oh, no, that can never be transformed. I'm um, putting down my sword and I'm running away from the military and I'm going to go join a holy huddle commune. But nor did they go, well, I guess I just better say my prayers, have Jesus in my heart, love my enemies while I kill my enemies. And it's just like an internal heart reality instead of a Jewish heart reality, 
where the heart is connected to the whole of our life. And instead they said, I'm staying in these institutions because I have a radical imagination that they can be transformed. It might cost my life pitted against how the institution works currently, but I'm willing to do it because it's what Jesus did for me. Because I believe though love is crucifiable, love always resurrects. So the early Christians were in the military, but they referred, uh, they refused to wear the amulet, which was a sign of worship to Caesar, because they said, no, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord, that very political claim. But importantly, they also refused to bear the sword. So instead of carrying the sword, they threw down their weapons and they said, no, we're going to be soldiers without weapons that don't worship false idols, but we're going to stay in institutions. And they were martyred for it. That's how we know Christians were in the early military. Now, some people will use that to say, so it's fine to be in the military. And I'm like, pay attention to the story. The, 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 it, it's not just the devil in the details, but it's the divine. And if we pay attention to the, those kind of details, a way of actually engaging, if we take second wave feminists seriously, the personal is political. So it's not that it has no impact. But um, if we are always saying that um, the political is merely personal, we pay no attention to the principalities and powers that are actually shaping our person. So it's not merely do I go for individual transformation or do I go for social transformation? Like most things with the gospel, the answer is yes. Like it, it brings us into that place of prayer where we have to start to immerse ourselves and learn to relax into not my false self, but my true self, which the love of God is a constant and that that deepest sense of who God is and that God loves me. We learn to live that, that love, operate out of that love um, and realize that that love actually becomes our politics. Politics in the classic sense for Plato and Aristotle in the Western tradition is about how a society organizes itself. The early church said, we're gonna organize ourselves around the power of the resurrection, which is seen most clearly on the cross. And that's gonna be our economics. That's their Jubilee economics. That's Acts 2 and Acts 4, sharing all in common so no one's in need. That's their way of welcoming Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. Um, that radical dignity that is given to all amongst the body of Christ who are literally um, uh, a being like a, a, a if if what animated Jesus hypothetically that same spirit was to animate a people that people would look like Jesus. So to claim the Holy Spirit in one's life isn't about spiritual one night stands and um, uh, uh, amazing kind of oh that I had an incredible mystical experience that I'll write about. It's about becoming the person of integrity where confession no longer scares us and we don't have to deal with cover-up because we're part of a community that welcomes the parts of me that I wish to hide because Christ has actually found in those places drawing us into a deeper love that is revolutionary. And that's why Cornel West will say um, justice is what love looks like in public, but he will also say, and people forget to quote Cornel West's massive influence on me, he says, um, tenderness is what love feels like in private. We should be tender people who are fiercely committed to justice, who scapegoat no one, who um, re refuse to judge others, instead remove the log from our own eye that we might be of help of others, and that people actually feel the presence of somebody who has spent time in prayer, that the love we see in Jesus starts to drip from them. That's my politics. So how, how does that politics 
then go, how do you change the large political things Mm -hmm. that are practically happening in reality whilst denying the sword of empire? Because let's take just practically Australia. Mm -hmm. Legislation, like if you passed a piece of legislation that got money out of politics, is that a useful step towards bringing... I guess the kingdom or is that yeah. mechanism in engaging in politics? Is that mechanism wielding the sword that Jesus went, I will not wield the sword. No, it's, um, it's how we, are we going in there not wearing the amulet where we think, um, might makes right and not bearing the sword. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, because if we go in with the amulet where we go, Jesus is Lord. I mean, every day, mm. like in, in parliament, when parliament's sitting, they say the Lord's prayer. And then they do a welcome and acknowledgement um, of country. And then they ignore both in how they do policies the rest of the day. Like um, I've got friends who uh, like uh, in that position, I'm generalizing. But for the most part, people are like, no, no, no. Um, this is what we do to make ourselves feel better about ignoring it. So it's like immunizing huh. us against. So instead of like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. We're like, here's a little bit of um, that, even though I'm saying on earth, I hope that I get to go to heaven. And then we'll ignore that and we'll ignore the people who we've just acknowledged, whose land we stole and whose blood still cries out from the ground as we make these decisions. So, yes, Christians are to be in the places of power, but not wielding that kind of power, but participating in a way where they risk crucifixion. That's a that's a different understanding. Um, It's. If we think that voting once every three to four years is democracy, not only is it an anemic understanding of democracy, it's a pretty bad understanding of discipleship. Communities that learn to listen together, discern together what God is doing instead of um, superstar celebrity pastors who um, with eloquent words um, entertain people with TED Talks, with Bible verses, then followed by some Christian karaoke to mimic a Coldplay concert, and then um, uh, not practice the Lord's table, uh, which Jesus says, hey, you want to understand what my life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension is about? This meal. Do this in remembrance of me. And we're like, nah, you know what, Jesus? We're just going to pass the plate because we live in a fallen world and we've got realities and bills to pay. We have a professionalization of a priestly class, but we call them pastors, where people are like, if you've experienced this special call, then you can participate in our niche cultures of Christian cool, which imitate larger elements of Christian cool only always five minutes late and still exclude those who Jesus spends all his time with, still actually mimic um, larger economic models, still like, and I'm not saying that as an accusation, like we are all, this is confession, not proclamation. This is saying, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And when I say sinner, I don't mean... Um, shame for particular deeds that like there's an angry deity mm-hmm. going ah, ah, I said don't have that fun because you need don't me touch and I've that. Got dependency issues that's right but instead if if God is love and there are things that actually our participation in them means that we can't participate in love because as bell hooks reminds us um, where there is love there is no domination um, for, for love drives out all domination if we take that seriously we need to realize that, yeah, our our pseudo kind of hipster millennial, this confession in terms of like um, uh, 
versions of um, Christian Cool, where it's the latest conference that, like, if, if we if we travel here to this hill, um, there God is, or we travel here to this hill, um, but we don't, you know, it's not like Amos going to different hills. Where like, if if I travel here to this conference, then I'll experience the presence of God. If if God is not present right now, Conrad, right here in this conversation. I don't know if God is anywhere at all. And if God is not the love we see revealed to us in Christ Jesus, not less mysterious than our Jewish friends would name it, that a God who hears the cries of the oppressed, who is creator and acts to liberate people from oppression. But if that liberation from oppression comes through the aggressive, nonviolent love we see at Calvary, when we look at it through the resurrection, Christianity is not so much a set of things to believe as it is a person to follow. And that following is grace. That that following is welcoming a new world in everything. And no longer our LGBTIQ sisters and brothers have to feel excluded. Um, No longer do our our neighbours, because they share a different faith, need to be excluded. But realising that if Jesus redefines holiness, and he does, Jesus doesn't say, be holy as I am holy. Like Luke 6, he says, be compassionate or merciful as I am merciful. And he does it in the context of talking about the rain falls on the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. That's how the sun shines. There's no special weather reports for Christians. Today is sunny and rainbows for Christians who love the Lord, while pagan sinners can expect thunderstorms. That's not who God is if we take Jesus seriously. According to Jesus, we're to be perfect in love. And the word perfect there in Matthew's gospel in Matthew 5, uh, 48, um, perfect is the word completeness, uh, teleos. Um, It means uh, end or complete. So if our love is complete, leaving no one out, we know something of real holiness. It's a holiness which shimmers with the possibilities of a new world. And it's got nothing to do with exclusion. It's got nothing to do with cover-up purity games. It's got everything to do with confession and what it is to be transparent of heart, for they will see God. I'm hearing a picture being painted of practically the outflow with with what your Jesus-focused life looks like and what your Christianity, as you're describing it, looks like, is, is one where... It's a way of participating in everything. Almost everything seems to be remaining the same. We still vote. We still have politics. We still, it's going to affect your practical actions. Mm. And it's, it's going to make us want to actually participate in these ways. But I'm hearing a, it's, it's, it's a different emphasis on the different parts. The emphasis is not, emphasis is not just placed on our personal purity codes the emphasis is not just placed on a perfect utopian political system sounds like this this emphasis is on you participate in all you you do it all but you hold it in such a way that you aren't wielding it as a sword you don't hold the political and enter in that sphere as one to dominate and subjugate others to your will but you also participate in it because that's also a way in which we act out politics in in this world we have, like in this at least Australian society, we're in now. Does that 
Does that make some sort of sense? As yeah, I'm... like uh, I'm a lapsed anarchist um, and, and what anarchism gets right in terms of all things are created good and all things are fallen, anarchism gets right that all things are fallen. So there's even still a nervousness in me when you like participate in everything because part of me wants to go, no, don't participate in any of it. You need to understand that it's rotten to the core, what Dorothy Day would call the filthy rotten system. Um, and uh, w- w- we need to actually come out of that system um, but the ways we actually come out is not by running away from, but following Jesus into it, but into it in such a way that we no longer participate with everything that looks like evil, injustice, or believe violence, the, and oppression. Or, or believe, believe the, the hype. Stories. That's right. Yeah, don't That's believe. That's right. Like the the stories and the myths that come yeah. along with like consumerism. Yeah, I need yeah. I need to buy shoes, well, dude, but like, I don't. Like... Let's talk about the religious myths of this nation because consumerism is so. Um, let's talk about like and my uncle PJ served two tours of Vietnam. They wouldn't give him his citizenship without um, uh, serving. But the the Anzac myth and how it animates the religious imagination of Australians. Um, I'm, I'm talking about like secular Australians. It's like, oh, mate, like go to a mosque. Uh, yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, go to a synagogue. Yeah, all right. Uh, go to temple. Okay, go to church. Yeah, whatever. Don't celebrate Anzac Day. What's wrong with you? Yeah. What's, what's your problem? Yeah. What, what's right, wrong with you? Yeah. And it, it's because yeah. even the language that we use, that it doesn't matter that it is an ahistorical story where we take historical events, like the sending of like young people up a hill in Turkey um, to be decimated because British commanders don't care about Australian lives. And then we turn around and use language of sacrifice. Kierkegaard just reminds us sacrifice is just a religious way of saying murder. Like the tragedy of this and them saying, oh, this is what founded Australia is that it, it with, with national anthems and flags and bugles, it covers up the truth of how this nation was founded. And unless we can confess the white supremacy and colonialism that led to you and I being on this land, we can't heal that. And that which is not confessed cannot be healed. And and, and you're saying what we can identify as the religion of Australia. And maybe this is a way to yep. kind of sum up maybe what, what we're saying is that the religion of Australia, the religion of Christians in Australia and the religion of everybody in, in, in Australia is this, is a culture of capitalism, individualism, uh, like c- colonialism as being like, yeah. we are superior, make us like them. Yeah. And I'm seeing that thread within what what we call Christians in this country, you know, you're you're run of the mill Christians, but we see it within everybody. And I like how you identified it. It does remind me, I have heard Richard Raw talk, talk about that as well, where he says that which is beyond critique soon becomes uh, a demonic. And it, and when you pointed that out exactly in that example saying, how do we know what our true idol and God beyond critique is? And you see it in the political realm today some people may be listening to you and hear you and say, oh, well, he's critiquing maybe capitalism. Well, you must be a communist. And I, like when Richard Raw talks about it, he says, I never get more angry letters. Like he critiques Catholicism, Protestantism, like you're saying, Islam, all of these different things. But as soon as he critiques capitalism yep. and what you're saying is Anzac Day, these symbols of our culture, that seems to be 
that seems to be the founding idol and true God that you're yep. saying Christianity, that, that God, that Australian colonial God exists within what we would call uh, Western Christianity today. And you're yep. saying that that God needs to accept the brown Middle Eastern Jesus and way of doing life and community <laughs> into into that colonialism God's heart. If, if that yeah. kind of like links in the clickbait well, and tries to sum up. Yeah, yeah. This is where Christianity needs to accept Jesus into its heart. Um, will still not be able to um, exercise, and I use the word deliberately, the principalities and powers um, that you're naming just there if it continues to think that the Christian life is divided between inner sincerity and outward idolatry. And outward idolatry is fine as long as I have inner sincerity. And okay. there is no divide for a Jewish understanding of the heart. The, the, lev, the, the heart is um, uh, the engine which animates everything I do. So really, if you want to see what I believe, Conrad, look at my life, not, not right. what I'm doing you know, um, uh, when there's cameras around and when I'm being arrested and, and that kind of stuff. But look at the day-to-day yeah. of things that people never see, um, uh, mm-hmm. like the, the the people that no one ever hears about, um, uh, mm-hmm. what my finances actually, uh, how they operate. It, it's those things that say what we really believe. Is and that the, the who do you say I am? Is that the... Hmm. Yes, yeah, say, say more. <laughs> In the, I just, I'm just wondering in that connection to be like, we always like in our pulling of the text and the tradition to, to our culture, it always seems to me like, oh, what are you? Well, I'm a Christian. I say I'm this because I accept these ideological premises and pictures of the universe. Um, but then I wonder in that statement of Jesus before Pilate where he says, well, who do you say I am? Yeah. Even that surrender of, of saying, well... You you just look at look at what I am. Yeah, even totally. That for Christians, um, truth isn't a set of propositions or a principle. It's the person of Jesus, and so the irony of here you have Pilate, um, the the ruler of his court, and Jesus, who we acknowledge as um, Mashiach, um, anointed uh, the, the anointed King Messiah, um, and here you have two different kings. Um, operating in two different understandings of power. Um, One says, um, if my kingdom was like the filthy, rotten system, because he's not talking about God's good creation, if my kingdom was like the filthy, rotten system or of the filthy, rotten system, my disciples would take up swords and fight you. Yeah. Can you see it? Yeah. And um, uh, Pilate's response of like, what is truth? When power, coercive power, not resurrection power, is your truth, and and we have so much of Christianity which has become comfortable with the principalities and powers that there is so little resurrection power that we have to um, manufacture and falsify miracles uh, to, to help. Resurrection power how? That which we see at Calvary and that which rose Jesus from the grave are not two different realities but one. So the, the reason the reason why like this figure for those who are actually like not just listening along, but um, uh, this brown body upon a tool of like execution, the reason why that speaks to me not of fear, intimidation, 
and misery, but instead speaks of faith, hope, and love is because I can see it through resurrection eyes that I don't look at this and go, yeah, that's what we should do to people who speak truth and body truth and are the truth. Instead, we go, yeah, that's a call to me to risk it all, to live the truth, to live the love we see in Jesus. And when you say resurrection eyes, I'm I'm guessing you're not, you're either are or saying something other than a literal resurrection because some people might hear that and say and you do this because you're going to go to heaven one day and you you're talking about literally <laughs> See, raising people from the dead what yeah. do you, what do you yeah that's fascinating like for for the early christians and this is the point um so resurrection was never for the early christians about going to heaven in a jewish imagination um r- resurrection was the jewish belief that um though during the maccabean revolution um Uh, we had um, righteous warriors who were slain by the Roman Empire. Um, God will one day raise them from the dead. So they have this embodied hope that um, uh, those who actually went the way of justice, so with Martin Luther King or Oscar Romero here behind me, um, that those who have given their life and were assassinated by, um, uh, um, you know, whether it be white supremacist powers or um, uh, fascist powers, Um, that one day they will actually inherit the earth, that there is a healing coming, that there is going to be um, a a cosmic cleanup of all of creation where violence will no longer be no more. And it's an embodied hope. Now, it's a a mystical reality, but it's also a physical reality. Uh, It's to talk of such things is to reach the the very precipice of language itself and to start to, to fly over. Um, it's it's to talk of a Jesus who walks through walls and yet you can touch him and touch his side and touch his hand. It's it's going from a, a 2D reality to a 3D reality where suddenly we're talking about things that we can't possibly understand because death dominates and dictates so much of how we operate in the world. And yet this is a reality where love is stronger than death and that, that is what is operating. Um, so uh, if you want to take it metaphorically, sure, but I actually mean it metaphysically. I mean, metaphysically, love is stronger than death. And what it is to see Calvary um, not as the failure of love at the hands of evil, but actually as the victory of love at, of, at the nail-scarred hands of God, is to see that Martin Luther King's death, though being a tragedy, still speaks of that victory. Oscar Romero's death, does the same. The the life of Philip Berrigan, Dorothy Day, um, uh, th- these great heroes, Vincent Lingari, um, William Cooper, um, uh, Ella Baker. I mean, you, you get me started and we'll just list a great so liturgy. So why victory then? Why, like, why is the death of somebody fighting for justice a victory? This, this is everything, my man. Like, Conrad, if this is exactly the question to ask. So, um, uh, an early second century Jewish philosopher, um, Philo, in kind of arguing with the Christians, he was like, look, I'm a Jew. Let me spell out the Jewish hope. The Jewish hope is that God will heal all of reality, that people will beat their swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation and nor will they study war anymore. And he basically says, uh, not sure you fellas have actually read the newspaper headlines today metaphorically obviously there's no newspaper headlines in the second century but he's saying look out your window just look at what's going on apparently god's new world and the healing of all things haven't started 
And Justin Martyr's response to this is, we were a people. So this is where confession is everything. We were a people. Jared was a person conversant with every form of war and hatred. And yet we have started to beat our swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. We no longer study war anymore. And we instead cultivate the awe of God and the love of sisters and brothers. That is how Christians, the early church, operate in the world. And that's my crazy claim, is that Christianity is actually, God comes to us as a refugee, seeking the hospitality for a new world. And it's not so much that we invite Jesus into our heart, but Jesus, in his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, is God's welcome into God's heart for all of creation. Does your, does your heart break? Do, do you share? Do you participate in the pathos of a love that fiercely names all injustice and says no to that and yes to this kind of love? What the cross does is it clearly exposes injustice, evil, oppression, violence, domination, but it also clearly reveals God isn't any of those things, that God is that radical, unfailing said unfailing love that we see in the life of Jesus. And that's the, that's kind of what you're, you're, you're pulling out in the symbol of the cross and the very literal nailing a human body to a cross, but also the pacifism with which watching somebody beat up somebody who is not fighting back. It's that, it's that exposure of the violence. Like as soon as there's two wars fighting, you've got stories of justice. You've got stories of who's right, who's fighting for freedom, who's God stronger. But as soon as one lays down their weapon, all that's left is senseless violence. And you're, and you're saying that that's like uh, some level of, is that the part of victory you're, you're pulling out that says yeah. it, it, it allows you to look at, like, look at exactly what it is. As soon as you look at a man who only loved and healed yeah. nailed to a cross all you can see, and I guess that's why we yeah. can so clearly see the Pharisees. We always like, you know, growing up, they're like, oh, bloody Pharisees. They're always like missing the point. And I guess him being nailed to the cross because they put him there showed them for what they stood for and what, yeah. I guess, their heart, so and, to speak, their actions. Led and to be to. clear, Conrad, um, the, the Pharisees uh, are, are the best of like the beauty of Judaism, like we are the Pharisees. If, if we read the Gospels and go, oh, Pharisees, they suck, or even worse, like we feed into an anti-Semitism where we go, oh, Jews, they suck. And uh, the reality for my mum's side of the family and the anti-Semitism that is experienced um, amongst Christianity, Christianity is responsible for the Holocaust. Let me just put it plainly. Like whenever you have people um, hum, humming hymns while working as attendees in gas chambers. That is a Christianity which is demonic. That is everything that Jesus came to defeat. That, that is everything that we're called out of. And we have so much Christianity that wants to play chaplaincy to that which re-crucifies people B because they're gay, uh, because they're Muslims, uh, because they're brown, uh, because they're Jews. Um, because they're women, uh, because they're disabled, because like, like you fill in whatever the reason is. But I would never use the word pacifism because it, 
lets us off the hook as that's an optional extra. This is just the way of Jesus. Um, hmm. I, I don't know if I, I shift this here. You can see in the background um, this refugees. This is actually a sandwich board, um, resurrecting sandwich boards. Uh, so in the Love Makes Away movement, when we were illegally strip searched um, after doing a sit-in in the then, then foreign minister's office, um, which there was a Corruption and Crime Commission investigation into, which they spent over a million dollars actually then installing um, metal detectors that you'd find at the airport instead of people being subjugated to what we experienced, where the reality is, Conrad, who normally experiences that, like most of the time when I'm in lockup after an arrestable action, not, I've never been arrested for something that wasn't Jesus-y, just to clarify for people. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, that's my strongest theological term I've used in this discussion. It's got to be yes, Jesus-y. Um, most of the people that I've seen in, in lockup in the cop shop are Aboriginal people. Now, the reason why they changed what they were doing is that it was, um, you know, predominantly those who can pass as white, middle-class clergy people, ministers. But this um, actual... Uh, sandwich board that says refugees are people in the same font that in 68 one of my mentors um, uh, led the poor people's um, campaign in, in memphis where martin luther king was actually assassinated and jim lawson trained martin in nonviolent direct action uh, he had heard mordecai Con uh, uh, johnson speak on nonviolence, but in terms of martin being uh, orientated in nonviolence as a weapon that came through Jim Lawson, who's 91 years old today. We've run many workshops training people um, together. Um, uh, he's um, uh, uh, grumpy, kind, brilliant self is still on about the work. And he spoke at John Lewis's um, uh, memorial recently that people might have seen. But after being strip searched, and I mentioned this to say that there is an aggressiveness to this love that is without coercion. And this sits behind me all the time as a reminder that we came out of court and with a rugby scrum filled with, um, uh, you know, cameras, reporters, um, microphones in our, our face, those of us who were strip searched, we addressed the crowd. And you, you can find this on the Guardian website still. Um, and I, I said, not in my greatest preacher tones, but nervously, spelt out that the whole Love Makes Away movement we've built upon um, uh, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. But the next verse reads, if somebody asks for your outer garment, give them the undergarment as well. And I went on to say that um, the police, their strip searching won't stop us seeking the freedom of those who are in indefinite detention. And we literally started to strip there on, on the steps of the court while the cameras ro rolled and we actually wore singlets and football shorts because we didn't want to get done for indecent exposure um uh, and we so we're like okay we'll see our way through that but it looked like we were in underwear and then we put on these sandwich boards and we walked back to the politician's office where they strip searched us we prayed for her because our battle is not against flesh and blood. We can't make this simply about hating individuals mm. who themselves need liberation from these principalities and powers. We got to name the principalities and powers themselves. And in doing so, our victory, Martin Luther King says, will be a double victory because mm. we will win them over in the process. Mm. 
Not only will we so win the... the freedom of others, but we'll win those who are actually opposing the freedom. And this is my conviction that for a whole generation of us, we need to approach the institutional churches um, like we would a campaign, that we refuse to collaborate with that which dehumanises, but nor are we going to hand Christianity over to the hate field. But in, in fact, we're going to embody something that is hope-filled, which is a direct challenge because it looks more like Jesus and it feels more like grace and it welcomes God's new world. And this is what people desperately need. And the healing of my own spiritual trauma for which somebody was facing 30 years jail because of the abuse that was directed towards me from them has come not through rejecting and becoming an ex-evangelical or whatever, but by going deeper in the love that means I have an identity that's deeper than the pain and the damage that was done to me. And there is nothing that the principalities and powers can do, including taking my life, including the death threats, in including um, uh, you know the strip searches and the imprisonments and the prison records and the lack of speaking opportunities and how that affects you financially. None of that can take away the love of God revealed to us in Christ Jesus. And that's enough for me, man. And that's just my hope mm. is that we have a Christianity which looks like Christ, the grace, the beauty that welcomes God's new world. What, what I have noticed in this entire conversation, and I think probably the listeners will have noticed as well, is that and it, it allows me to identify more characteristics of what we, you know, can esoterically call empire and these big words and stuff. Uh, but what I notice in the way you speak is there is, I haven't heard any specific othering of, of individual people or necessarily groups, but your critique is largely heavy-handed at systems and what we're referring to as like principalities and ideas and and then talking about how they act out but I do notice that and perhaps this is this is when I'm trying to discern what it looks like to it to to push to move towards change to move towards what the Jesus-y way looks like <laughs> it, it looks exactly like what you're saying is to being like I can protest, and and maybe it's it's illustrated when I was watching some YouTube clips of Extinction Rebellion guys getting arrested yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And I noticed, I just no, you noticed the interaction. I've trained. <laughs> that, and and so maybe I'm pulling out what I've already seen in exactly what you're talking about. And it's like, you see this interaction between we get it's a game, we get it's politics, but you're going to have to carry me from the road. I'm not going to resist. It's not going to be violent, but you're going to have to do this because this is the game we're playing in. And you as a police officer, you're just getting a paycheck. Good on you. Like you keep doing what you can do. And when you're protesting in, in that uh, minister's office, you're going, you're doing what, what you can do and, and that's okay. But I'm, I'm also doing what I need to do, but you're not the enemy. And maybe that's what empire does. Empire creates armies. It creates enemies. So then you can kill them. Whereas if you don't create an enemy of something, you're less likely to kill it. I mean, normally I ask, like, I, I normally explore, like, the, our guests' journey to these ideas and, and how they shape the, them as a person and how these ideas 
help you? And I think I haven't really had to ask those questions because of just the life examples that you talk about in being like, here's what I do when I accept Jesus as this person. Here's what I do when I live in this this space and realm. And so anyone listening, there's definitely been a lot of ground and different aspects to cover. And I have a, like a million different questions. And if you do as well, send them through, send them through to, to Instagram, post them here. Because you know, if, if Jared in isolation still has nothing better to do, I'd love to get him back <laughs> and, and maybe explore some of the specifics. Because we've done like a really... I mean, we have dived into some rabbit holes and come back out, but we've just covered so much ground that, and I've definitely missed a, a lot of these questions. But I guess, Jared, to, f- to finish up, what what do you think, and you're probably just going to reiterate much of what you've, you've said already, but what do you think is the, the seed idea you would, you would leave with with a lot of people who who are listening just the the idea to think about that maybe began to change you personally that because all of this stuff it one leads to another leads to another and it all kind of grows mm. what would be something and an idea that you would hand people to go just think about that and see where it leads and see what it changes mm. yeah conrad um i'm i'm also aware in you saying that that Ironically, for somebody who part of art school for me was um, studying philosophy and, um, uh, you know, Jared at 18 years old was all Foucault and Derrida and Rorty and all, all this kind of stuff that um, uh, interests such a niche kind of kind of crew that I can also hide um, behind talking about the ideas. I, I do work really hard to talk about the ideas in down-to-earth ways that um, people don't have to have um, theological education to latch onto. Um, uh, but for me, I, I guess the idea itself it would simply be that um, uh, what you see in Jesus, like in his life, in um, how he relates to women, in, 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 in how he includes outsiders, in the dignity he gives to children, in his challenge to um, the religious elite who think that they can police who's in and who's out. That's what we get in the mystery that is the creator. And um, I know you've had my good mate Brad Zerzak on... Uh, um, and he, he uh, I've had a few of your friends, Brian Zahn, Brad oh, Jerzak, Eddie Rollins. <laughs> yeah. Pete. Pete's funny. Um, uh, yeah, you'll have to get Drew Hart, my co-host, um, on All right. Inverse. You can put in a good word for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, Drew wrote, um, the trouble I've seen changing the way that the church views racism and his PhD was kind of bringing together the black church witness and Anabaptism, um, which as you can tell, both of them kind of animate. Um, giving permission for like the, the Christianities of whether it's um, uh, black theology or womanist theology or, or feminist theology um, uh, or majority world the- theology. Um, these give us permission to realize there isn't Christianity, but Christianities. 
and um, finding more life-giving ways. So you should definitely have have Drew on. Um, his PhD not only brings those things together, but brings together like the church and white supremacy um, uh, and how they should never be together, but actually torn apart. Um, so Brad would put it that, you know, a, a more Christ-like God, um, which is beautiful. Mm. But what I want to also say is a more Christ-like future that we can't merely stop at, um, uh, yes, um, uh, God is Jesus-y all the way down, and in him there is nothing un-Jesus-y at all. Um, but at the same time, the, the future which Jesus welcomes looks like Jesus. So what would it look like for our economics? You as an economic teacher with these young minds opening to ideas when they're not on TikTok, um, how can they open to an economics which is Jesus-y? During our ecological crisis, um, what would a ecology where um, uh, that transforming creative love, and love has to be creative, because if Jesus invites us into not mirroring the principalities and powers, all we're left with is the creativity of joining in the Holy Spirit to do something yet unimagined. And when scriptures say um, uh, more than we ask or imagine according to God's power that is at work within us, that's exactly what it's talking about. We haven't even imagined the responses. So it's not like there's this high ideal up there that we're kind of striving towards, but actually the resurrected one approaches us, God's future in the person of Jesus. Though scarred, um, love is victorious over death, and this future actually comes and takes our hand and says, touch my pain, and I can make yours safe as well. Uh, touch my side, and those things that have pierced your side can be healed as well. Um, in, in the way that blood and water, like someone giving birth, Jesus gives birth from the cross to a new world that we see in the resurrection. And to what is it to welcome God's future as just in the same way that Jesus is our friend? And I know the, the naff kind of YouTube songs we could sing about, um, uh, but I, I mean much more in the black church tradition that there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. There's not an hour when he is not near us. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our trouble and he will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And that friend welcomes the future of a world that looks like him, that looks like healing justice and a provocative peace and the joy that is the spirit that raised him from the dead. That's the world that we're invited into. And um, in terms of my my personal story, um, I mean, I, to be vulnerable and talk about stuff which I often avoid, um, it, it was being at my best mate's funeral and after carrying out his casket and um, Steve never became a Christian. Like uh, I became a Christian in my first year of high school and it was me, my sister and two other girls our age. And by the time we were in year 12, we had a youth group of 150. Only eight of us had Christian parents and the rest were all our pagan mates who fell in love with Jesus and wanted in because we'd been at parties and um, after binge drinking, they'd thrown up on us and we didn't judge them. We served them and um, uh, we sought to like meet people in their need 
and they're like, I want in on this as well. And we saw friends set free from drug addictions and um, to lives of service and all the rest. And so it was this really beauty, beautiful, healthy kind of experience. Um, but somebody said to me at the funeral, and Steve never gave his life to Christ, and someone said, well, you don't know where his heart was in those final moments. And Conrad, I just had to go, that God doesn't look like Jesus. I mean, as messed up as Jared is, as problematic and as broken and need as grace as Jared is, I wouldn't throw my best mate into an eternal fire. I wouldn't, to be tortured in, in, a, in a lake like this kind of, but this was kind of the worldview that was offered. And I had to face the reality, am I more compassionate than the first person of the Holy Trinity? Or does the first and third person of the Holy Trinity look like what's revealed in the second person? Is God Jesus-y all the way down? And if not, that God needs to invite Jesus into his heart. And so when I had the confidence to actually protest a picture of God that didn't look like Jesus, all the dots started to connect in terms of the realities of injustice in the world. And as I um, went deep in the reality that um, uh, what it was for me to expose uh, a pedophile and then to face people saying it was my fault, it was um, uh, I led him astray, uh, um, that the church split and that was my responsibility as well, um, that my friends felt so disillusioned by what was going on because the pastor at the church had, had done this and that I'd broken up the church. These, Conrad, were my first kind of experiences of realising that the way of the cross isn't being passive in suffering injustice, but is actually exposing injustice in a way that we get free. Loving our enemies isn't something we're told to do merely for the good of our enemies. It's so that we get freed from being stuck in that thing that they have done to us. And that changed everything for me. My, my faith is still as childlike as Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Spirit shows me so. To his Father, his Abba, we belong in our weakness, we are strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For the silence tells me so. And that's not to take away from Scripture. Scripture perfectly points us to the person of Jesus. But we've got to develop the kind of prayer lives where the silence is welcoming us into relaxing into the love that is always present to us, that gives us back our dignity, that gives us the kind of strength to face the principalities of powers, to pull the logs out of our own eyes, and, and then to um, walk bravely into a reality where we work for the, the freedom and dignity of everyone, everywhere. That's what Jesus calls us to. And it's it's literally the reason I'm still alive. And people know, uh, Jared, like in terms of climate justice, or Jared in terms of refugee justice, or Jared in terms of like um, changing policies on homelessness or Jared in terms of founding CEO of common grace or Jared in terms of love makes a way or um, world vision or whatever else. Um, all I got is that I've been 
I've been loved in such ways that I'm freed to be myself and those things that don't look like love don't have to have a hold on me. And that's been my freedom. It's why I'm still alive. It's um, uh, having visions of the prophet Jeremiah um, weeping and then our Lord weeping over Jerusalem and feeling God say to me, if, if I'm going to move through this and what I've experienced. Um, and to be clear, there, there were um, over 30 victims around the world. I was just one of the people to expose it. And people helped him skip the country and sold his house and car and set him up elsewhere. And um, an international search that the FBI and several foreign agencies were involved with. Um, part of my dear friendship with BZ and Perry Zand is uh, Perry was going to accompany me to testify in the US in just 2016 when he was finally caught. Um, this is the parts of my story that people don't know. And they're like, how did you get involved in social justice? It's Jesus had to be my everything. So, um, so that stuff didn't kill me, even though it took the life of my best mate, who was also abused. I just didn't know it. What are you, what are you talking about when you say Jesus had to be my everything? When you, when you say that in that, as you moving through this, this, trauma and suffering you're describing what like talk to me about that yeah um and again to to go to uh the christologies of the the black church witness um uh you know i said a couple of hours ago or days ago when we first started speaking um james cone talks about that um uh, no black preacher would preach the gospel without preaching jesus because jesus is the gospel um uh, what it is that uh, Jacqueline Gray critiquing white feminist um, theology talked about the white woman's Christ and the black woman's Jesus. It's this fierce identification with a God who knows our suffering, who, who, who so you experiences. Look at and you see a reflection of yourself within that suffering. In both ways, because there, there could be ways to look at the suffering and go, well, Jesus suffered, so I should too, i.e. I should stay okay. silent about the yeah. abuse. I should um, uh, say uh, silent about those realities. I shouldn't like split the church. I shouldn't shake everything up. I shouldn't let everything fall apart by speaking truth. Mm. Or there are ways of looking at Jesus and realizing um, his faithfulness to a love that meant that nothing else could name him other than a child of God in whom God is well pleased, that in him, that's my reality as well. It's a participatory reality. It, it's, it's, a mystic, it's a mysticism um, of identification with Jesus um, that calls for an end to all suffering. It's not the glorification of suffering. It's actually the, the power and a force more powerful of violence to actually face and confront all injustice and evil and uh, the lies, uh, the hypocrisy. And it, it is it is the power of the powerless um, to speak of a different kind of power, the, the transfiguring of all power, that it's those with no power can know this power of resurrection because it doesn't work like empires do. It, it doesn't um, mm. operate in the same way. It gives a dignity and a sense of self where it means that I can expose the systems. And so like being thrown into like um, solitary confinement um, 
uh, after interrupting 24,000 US and Australian soldiers training illegally in terms of Australian and international law um, uh, for ongoing um, in invasions in the world with dear friends like um, uh, Simon Moyle and uh, Jess and Margaret and, um, and being in solitary confinement Conrad, I knew what Martin Luther King talks about where he talks about um, there is a cosmic companionship for those who are committed to the work of justice. When th this isn't dry ideas for me, this is about imagination and intuitions um, in my body and my body being given permission to enter the story in such ways that Jesus isn't just a high ideal or distant historical figure. Um, he is the reality that animates who I really am. Uh, th this isn't um, uh, some principle found throughout all things as much as it is the um, uh, creator who holds all things together. And that's a different... It, it means that you approach these issues differently. It means that you value your life and yet you're willing to lay down your life uh, for the lives of others not at a sense of self-hatred or, um, uh, you know, this grotesque distortion of doctrines of total depravity or anything like that, but of a sense of dignity and participation in the divine life of God, that um, doing the work of justice is prayer. Where Heschel talks about, I felt my feet praying as he walked with Martin Luther King. Um, we find our lives when we lose our lives in the service of others in the pursuit of justice. And that's what Jesus invites us into. Discipleship isn't learning how to run a small group and some nice principles to be taken out of a passage when you take it out of context. It's what it is to find our life in the love that challenges everything that doesn't look like love. And Conrad, uh, to speak directly to those who are listening, our whole generation is going through this moment where we're becoming so aware um, that uh, the fundamentalism isn't fun and it's just mental. And that's a good thing to realise. And that there's been so much religious trauma done to people um, that, that must be healed. But the best critique of the bad is actually the practice of the more beautiful and what it is for us to develop contemplative spiritualities of nonviolent justice where we actually embody an alternative that doesn't get caught mirroring the church institutions that we have problems with or who have literally abused us and hurt us and destroyed us and taken the lives of our friends quite literally, but instead embody something more beautiful. That's what we're invited into. That That's our business. And um, it's not all done on like on the streets it also happens you know in the prayer closet when no one's watching salvation as not a personal project but always in community and with people and fighting for people and being with people jared you've there's a there's a lot for people to sit with and digest and i what i what i like about this conversation is i feel like i've gotten like a window into being able to explore a, a type of christianity that has very real tangible 
outcomes and actions and transformations. And whether you're, you know, maybe listening to some of Jared's um, interpretations of the Bible or experiences and you're sitting there going, no, I completely disagree. Or you're sitting there and going, yep, I agree with it entirely. I doesn't bother me. Not the point. Agree or disagree. Not really the point. If you have been listening to that and hopefully gotten some insight into how Jared sees the world, how his ideas have animated exactly what he does, what has led him to get arrested and for what. Uh, Hopefully it gives you an insight into understanding. I mean, next time if you see a a dreadlocked green hippie walking the street, you might think, well, instead of, oh, he's going to smoke pot, maybe you'll be thinking, I wonder what his view of Jesus is. Once again, three things. I've definitely missed a lot of questions. So as you see this post on Instagram and listen to the podcast, Ask some questions that I might have missed and I'd love to get Jared back and dig a little deeper in some of the areas that have just been kind of uncovered here. And if you are still here after almost three hours of a conversation, you are one of the very special few people. If you're listening to this, recommend this podcast to somebody else. If you're that bloody committed, just go one more step, hit share, send it to your mum, your dad, your friend, send it to someone who you'll know will be annoyed by it. I don't know. Send it to somebody. Um, and a rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's It's been a great conversation. Jared, thanks so much for taking so much time and being so generous and talking to us. This has been a joy, my bro. And I really do mean that. I, I hope... You know, my prayer each morning is that um, we might witness to that healing. And so um, uh, in the grief that so many people are feeling at this time generally, but you specifically with the, the loss of Cam, um, I really hope that for you, my friend. Um, for those who are um, uh, provoked in good ways or bad ways, reach out. I'm happy to um, talk further. Um, the Inverse podcast has weekly Bible studies with surprising people to turn our world upside down hence inverse um uh, we've just had van ban badham the um, marxist talk about her christian faith so uh, if that is of interest to to people um uh, but also we run a number of anti-racism and discipleship um, formation experiences we've got a new one starting over 10 weeks and we find ways to make that available to people regardless of their financial situation and that way we've got people in uh, what's referred to as townships in South Africa who are able to participate in it, as well as megachurch pastors and theologians and activists and artists and musicians. And um, some people are like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they're here. And it's like, yeah, that's part of it. Um, And we also run a liberating Sunday school on Sunday afternoons uh, where we read um, Indigenous theologies from around the world and um, uh, allow that to challenge people's current theological um, uh, uh, position and expand into something that is actually good news for people who've been colonized and for all of creation. So if those things are of interest, Conrad, um, please let people reach out. So where do people find all those contacts? Just follow you on Instagram, send you an email. Yeah. The Insta spams or, um, uh, the book of faces or, um, the twits or any of the above. Right. Um, So on the medias of social, generally, uh, the interwebs. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks so much, Jared. It's been been awesome. Keep living that love. Catch ya. Bye.